Disney and Don Bluth do battle for the last time. The first last Toy Story and Dick Tracy bring street justice to a new batch of gremlins. This week on 302010. Welcome everyone to the 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine each week, taking you back through the anniversaries of 30, 20, and 10 years ago of this week, this week being June 12th through the 18th, and I have never in the history of this show <laughs> been more excited to talk about the batshit movies covering the period of 1990, 2010. I'm uh, one of your animation hosts. Animation fans Oof. get ready dude yeah. psychos There's get ready lot. like people who fans of just pure insanity get ready dude so good and it, it's just all bunched up together too i'm just oh so good so good hi i'm one of yours chris Antista. who else is with me uh i'm well i've got a question who's the black private dick who's the sex machine with all the chicks oh my god oh it's too much <laughs> everything i, I like. asked a question uh it's oh let's talk about diana diana goodman you damn right. <laughs> Did not expect that. Why? And, <laughs> and who else is with us? It's me, Sarah. Black lives still matter. Yes, they do. Yes, they hey. do. Not a lot at the box office this week, though. But it's, I, I, I can't believe I saw one of the most colorful, colorless movies I've ever seen this week. And we will talk Ooh. about that in just a moment. I wanted to say real quick, this show uh, and the entire Laser Time Network is brought to you by Patreon.com slash Laser Time. We do extra 302010 stuff over there. There's a ton of extra podcasts if you really want to dig into more stuff that we do, uh, including uh, we go deeper into the video games with the Video Game Apocalypse Boys. And we're executive produced this week by Stephen Bales and many other fine people at Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Bonus shows, sick new sick of Star Wars. It's wonderful. Uh, Hi. I, I don't even know where to start this week. Ugh. 30, 20, 10, going back 30, 20, and 10 years back in time to look at the best music, TV, uh, video games. I want to say movies again, just because movies, movies, movies. This is so exciting yeah. for me. Not a ton of TV, of course. We're in the doldrums, but right. man, are movies more, more than making up for it. I think there's there's one really crazy thing in TV, but it, so stay tuned for that because it's, it's, it's in this segment. This is the segment where we talk about 1990 before we get to the latter decades. June 12th of the 18th, little bit of news to bring you into the decade of weirdness, and I still can't get over that this existed. I know I saw it. The Jukebox Network goes national. That's in the news. It was a local Miami thing. But mm-hmm. bringing you back to days before YouTube where you could pull up every music video you wanted, it was like MTV, but you could call in and pay to put a music video on the air. Ooh. And they re- reportedly, Whoa. yeah, eventually became The Box. And it was somewhere between a dollar and at the end of it, four dollars to wait 20 minutes to watch your favorite music video. So not, wow. not only does that sound insufferable, there was like an example on, on one of their wikis that like, yeah, the, this Bone Thugs, Thugs and Harmony song is really popular. So it just played 10 times in an hour. <laughs> so oh, like, who, who can actually watch this? <laughs> this isn't even like the most popular songs. It's just the ones people paid for in order. I could I yeah. could pull a John Mulaney and do Tom. <laughs> it's not unusual <laughs> for like. <laughs> what's new Pussycat? What's new Pussycat? Yes. Uh, but I can feel it. 
I can feel it in my finger, the hovering on the pause button so you can unpause to record that video yeah. you asked for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, we were just talking about the radio on this week's Laser Time with Diana about uh, parody songs, like just waiting to hear the thing that you wanted. It, it still mm-hmm. feels weird that I, that was the beginning of my life. Yeah. It, I mean, honestly, this network sounds like a great idea, like a huge moneymaker, great idea. It's have yeah. you have you been there like a a bar with a modern jukebox? Yeah, that, where it's like all computer animated, like it's all well. Yeah, they have an app, like a touch screen. They have an app, and you can outbid people to stick your song further up the queue. It's what? it's bizarre. I participated mm. once. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. This, we, we got into a bidding war over who could put on smooth fastest. It was, <laughs> no, and uh, a little another little bit of news for you Simpsons fans out there because I, I didn't even hear about this. NBC and ABC refuse to air Burger King ads that feature the Simpsons because they will not promote a rival network. I cannot Whoa. believe this is the... F- How is this the first time this yeah. has occurred, NBC and ABC? Flintstones have been hawking shit for 50 years. <laughs> like They're only on one network at 1.2. I, I just don't... Be- I, it, it seems so it's hard just, to believe. I guess because the Simpsons were so heavily identified with Fox. Yeah, maybe that's the this, case. I mean, it's like Fox's identity is, you know the naughty channel that brought you the Simpsons. Yeah. And, and to, if you're a big Simpsons fan had a really long and great relationship with Burger King, terrible <laughs> food Too bunny. My review of Burger King too much. Too bun. much buns. Oh yeah. And, and, but I heard you say that before. they had great Simpsons <laughs> toys throughout Simpsons throughout history. They really did. The first yeah. way you could get uh plush dolls, mm-hmm. the, the treehouse of horror stuff. Yes. Yeah, Burger King. You did something right. Good for you. Well, uh, and then never again until they released the Impossible Burger. <laughs> yes, and that's the last yeah. time I reviewed fast food. And now, just we have to get to the movies. There are only two, and they <sighs> they are two of the most wonderful films. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, that mm-hmm. is not a good classification. This shit yeah. is ridiculous. They are both batshit. Yes, mm-hmm. and these are both supposed to be blockbusters, and right. they are so weird. In such amazingly specific ways, yes. I, I I knew they were both coming in 1990. I did not realize the same. I didn't week. know they were competing it's with wild. each other. Like I, I'm pretty it's sure there's a PowerPoint. Movies of the year. I'm, there has to be a PowerPoint out there in Hollywood somewhere. Like why studio control is important, and it's these two movies on the first <laughs> page because they're incredibly weird and completely unrestrained. And yeah. and one is much better than the other. So let's talk about that one because it. Because there's no justice in the world, even back 30 years ago, it lost at the box office to the the other movie. But we got Christopher Lee. The first time I ever saw Christopher Lee is in this film. Uh, Robert Picardo, Robert Prosky, John Glover, uh, Phoebe Cates, Zach Gilligan. Uh, and if I said the voice of Howie Mandel, a bunch of you would know what I was talking about. And the voice of Tony Randall. Yes. We told you the rules. Remember the first one? You can't get them wet. Don't let them uh, eat after midnight. What, what if they're eating in an airplane and they cross the time zone? I mean, it's always midnight somewhere. <laughs> you didn't listen. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Rambo! Gremlins 2. The new batch. Rocking your way this summer. Rated PG-13. Oh, so, so happy. <laughs> this movie is banana pants. <laughs> and I, I, I remember it being banana pants, and I rewatched it, and I was... The, the overwhelming feeling of the inmates running the asylum. Yes, yes. There's no getting around that. They wanted to make a sequel to Gremlins so bad yep. 
those fools, those mad fools just let Joe Dante do whatever the fuck he, he wanted. And what he wanted was to make a Looney Tunes cartoon. Well, I think, well, I think it's more than that. Joe Dante is really pound for pound one of my favorite filmmakers ever. He really is. Yeah. I know Diana doesn't love the burbs as much as I do, but almost everything yeah. he's done, I love. Yeah, but his- I will go to Matt, Matt for matinee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody on the planet. And this movie has a William Castle shout out. Yeah. God, it makes me happy. It has a Gomez Adams cameo. It's like, like Joe Dante is like a technically proficient nerd. And I wish oh, he he's still. such a nerd. I mean, oh my God. You, you want to blow like eight straight days, go to Trailers from Hell. Yeah. He's great. I love his podcast. Uh, I love, all, like, we did a whole show on Laser Time called Gremlins Ripoffs because Gremlins in 1984 was so successful. It made a cottage industry out of like little puppets terrorizing people, movies mostly straight to video because everybody mm. thought they could recreate the magic and nobody really could, including Warner Brothers. They tried to, Joe Dante said, no, that's, that's fine for me. One's fine. Uh, that was really hard to do. And the story's pretty perfect. And Gremlins is a perfect movie. And I would argue right now that so is this. And it's totally <laughs> different. And you can't watch one without the other. It's absolutely wonderful. So in, after a, a bunch of failed installed projects over the period of six years, they couldn't get anything off the ground. Uh, Joe Tande finally like acquiesces and like, I'll direct if you give me complete creative control in a massive budget. Uh, Chris Wallace, the original uh, effects guy, didn't come back. So he reached out to Rick Baker and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm just not that interested. I mean, Part of what he liked about the job was creating new things and like the gremlins already created. What do I have to create? Like it's this isn't that fun for me. And he just said sort of like, dude, I'll let you create almost whatever you want. (laughs) And just with that in mind, massive budget studio can't tamper with anything. Even Steven Spielberg in his screening reported like, dude, this is too much. <laughs> this is too crazy. And, and it, But Gremlins 2 is a parody of itself. It's a horror comedy. It's a mm-hmm. living cartoon. It opens up with Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. I, I said back with Cartoons All Stars to the Rescue, this is the first time on the big screen that Bugs Bunny spoke without Mel Blanc's voice and mm. Daffy Duck. Um, that, that It opens the film, and Joe Dante said he wanted to do that because I'm, and it doesn't make any sense when you watch it now. Because especially when you know it's coming, it's such an awkward opening that Bugs and Daffy just have like a minute spiel, and then you're looking over New York. Uh, but he's like, no, I wanted to set the tone, and he brought Chuck Jones, who was in the first Gremlins, out of retirement <laughs> to animate the sequence. That's the first bit of insanity. <laughs> Right. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of this insanity. This this wonderful celebration of all things cult is in this movie. Yeah. And then then what's weird is it as it rolls out, it feels fairly conventional. Oh, now they've moved to the big city and they work in this crazy modern building for this guy who's half Donald Trump, half Ted Turner. Yeah. And you think it's just Oh, it's just making fun of like over technologizing things. Like you don't need an automatic rotating door. Rotating doors work fine. And you don't no, need you don't you... need a voice telling you every time something happens. One of my favorite details of the movie is just <laughs> the bathroom and it goes, Welcome to the men's room. Like there's no reason. <laughs> that. It's every little detail in here is hilarious and yeah. weird and makes I have never seen a movie make so much fun of itself. Yeah. And then it goes what once it's like the opening it seems very conventional. Mm-hmm. And then about mm, a third of the way through, 
then it goes fucking nuts. And I I forgot, like, Gizmo disappears from most he, of the movie until he shows back up as Rambo. It's my only criticism is that Gizmo's barely there, <laughs> but he, show, he shows back up to kill everything. He helped in the first movie, but he kills a lot. Gizmo kills a lot of people. And Gremlins, yeah. Gremlins. Because the first, yeah, the first I mean, Gremlins movie is part of why we have PG-13. It was really violent, mm-hmm. kind of an effective horror, horror movie in addition to a family comedy. It's one of the most bizarre things that feels like it should never have happened. And so is this in so many different ways. It's so strange. I mean, just why, why they decided to like, oh, yeah, we're going to have this huge futuristic building. But also there's like a genetic lab there. Run by Christopher Lee, who's like making hybrid animals and all ah. kinds of just super crazy shit that seems deeply With unsafe. Also, the <laughs> we'll t- put it in the middle of this building just so we can pay off and have the weirdest creatures we can come up and with. And he works with the two twins who make that great effect sequence in Terminator 2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, know, I met them. They, did you really? They're from uh, where I, I went to high school. Yeah. <sighs> I met them once. Just, I said hi. And I was like, oh, God, there they are. Oh, no, one's going to stab the other one in the face and take his place. Oh, no. There's like no reason for almost anything to be on screen, but it is because it's silly. Munster's references, (laughs) references to old movies. Leonard Moulton appears in the movie to review the original Gremlins before being murdered by Gremlins. It's it's absolutely batshit and enjoyable in every frame. And we haven't even talked about the Gremlins because, like, I, I don't think... We all wanted to see another Gremlins, but we'd seen so many ripoffs. Like, what are you going to do that we haven't seen before? And it it is excellent. I would I would give my left testicle to have the puppet of the vegetable Gremlin. I think that's <laughs> one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, the lady Gremlin, the electricity Gremlin, the bat Gremlin that makes fun of Batman. It's all so <laughs> surreal. <laughs> it's all so surreal and also funny. Jarring in the first movie is Phoebe Cates talking about her dad dying by being stuck in a chimney trying to come down oh, on Christmas yeah. Day dressed as Santa. And she starts to go off on one of those one of those recollections and Zach just like interrupts her. No, we do not have time for that. This is already too long. <laughs> it, it, oh, President's Day was really traumatic for her, though, because that guy looked just like Abe Lincoln. And I, I swear, I don't want to oversell this. For me as a little kid, all of the little kids I talked to, given the time and what we didn't know about him. We can. I still consider this one of my favorite things I've ever experienced in cinematic history. In the middle of the movie, the gremlins rip the film in half and start showing public domain volleyball footage. And then we well, cut... I don't know. If you watch very carefully, that's a nudie fi- yeah. film. Yeah, it's probably Ooh, something... I mean, they call... It's because it's what they used to call naturalist films, which means just footage of nudist colonies. And But, like, they don't actually show anything. It's just... It looks boring and dumb. Well, yeah. I mean... Because they're cutting off the nudity. Yeah, nudists are kind of lame, anyways. Yes, I've seen real sex. I know this. They're boring. And then we cut to real sex. We cut to a theater of people watching Gremlins, and the usher has to get a very, very special guest star to get the Gremlins to put the movie back on. Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too, right now. I, this this entertainment, <laughs> I, I, I just hadn't seen like something this meta and weird in a film in my life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and speaking of uh, Paul Bartel standing right next to him, yeah. who just talked about passing away a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Dick All Miller, right. who also recently passed away, uh, is is <sighs> shows up in the movie again. A, a Joe Dante staple. Uh, and and one of the reasons the best selling points for having your old DVDs not only is like that Looney Tunes opening. There's like several more minutes of that that are cut out and <laughs> that you can find in the DVD. I don't remember exactly how this worked because I didn't have HBO. But mm-hmm. if you rented this movie. The Hulk sequence was cut out and replaced yes. with John Wayne threatening the gremlins to s- press play on the movie again. And, yeah, and they, they mess up. They mess with your VCR. Yes. And, and then uh, John Wayne footage tells them to knock it off and then they start the movie again. Yeah. So like you couldn't, oh, you wow. couldn't rent the yeah. movie and see this scene again, I think until it hit television. And it wasn't until the DVD where you had access to both. Uh, just so fucking clever. And like everyone <laughs> I've seen people give this movie shit and I can't understand it, man. This hit me at the perfect time. And the reasons why I, I, Joe Dante himself reflects on why it didn't do as well. It just, it'd been too much time. It'd been too much. It'd been like six years in between. And like, I wasn't at that point, I wasn't real hard up for a gremlins movie, but I'm like, I owe it to the first movie to see this. And it was perfect. It was perfect for me. It was perfect for me as a teenager, as a 20-year-old, and now, right now in 2020, I love this movie unrepentantly. Gremlins 2, one of the best sequels yep. ever made. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I remembered it being batshit, but I did not... It, it was really this watch where it hit me of, it's a live-action cartoon. Mm-hmm. It plays by cartoon logic and cartoon rules, and it's silly like a cartoon. It has and a sexy girl so, gremlin that even humans so fall for. Perfect. It has to- Tony Randall as a smart gremlin. That wasn't civilized. It was. It's so great. Everything about this movie is great, and anybody who hates it, like I don't, I don't think deserves anything anymore. And and I, I think Joe Dante said, like, you know, I'm actually like really proud of it because it's the kind of movie that you nobody would ever make on purpose, but we did. <laughs> And it was because we had the studio like bent over a barrel. We were allowed to do whatever we wanted. So everybody had a great time and got to make exactly what they wanted. This one of the silliest horror comedies ever. And it's yeah. much lighter in tone than the first Gremlins. So if like you want to show one to your little kids, this one is way preferable. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it's definitely less scary. Uh, God, it's so goofy, though. And yeah. uh, you were listing all the goofy ass shit. I know a lot of people recognize that list of goofy ass she- shit because Kean Peel had a sketch about oh. <laughs> making this movie oh, should have been like, and yeah, it's pretty much it's just a bunch of Hollywood execs brainstorming, and then this really flamboyant sequel <laughs> consultant comes in and just takes all of their ideas no matter what. I love this clip. Look, here's the thing. None of this is final. So you mean like, what if there was like a brainy gremlin? <laughs> a brainy gremlin. You talking about a gremlin with glasses who could talk and sing New York, New York? That's brilliant. It's in the movie done. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you, you said that nothing was final. That was before I heard the words brainy and gremlin in the same sentence together. It's done. I love it. It's in the movie next. What about a uh, spider gremlin? You mean a gremlin with eight legs and a thorax just catching pretty ladies in a web in an office building? Oh my god, it's in the movie. I love it! Next! What about a bat gremlin? You mean a gremlin with leathery wings just flying around, flip-flopping, bust through a wall, make a perfect bat symbol in the wall, get outside, get in some wet concrete, jump up on a building that's just dry in place like a gargoyle gremlin? We are cooking with gas now. I love it. It's in the movie next. I, I thought the sketch was mean when I first saw it, but it, like 
this is a really accurate depiction of the movie, and and someone who the person <laughs> who wrote it clearly loves it. I didn't notice at all that Jordan Peele is a black Rick Baker, even though Rick Baker is a very timid sounding guy. That is how he dresses with the earring. Uh, <laughs> th- th- this is this is so. Oh, I love Gremlins too. If you have not seen it, just just go watch. Dude, there's too many movies I can say that about this week. My God, my God, yep. Gremlins too. Are we? Oh. Are we done? I don't want to move on, but we have to. I don't uh, know. This next movie is equally bananas. Oh, in Gremlins 2, I, I checked. It is on Shudder uh, in HBO Ooh. Max, I believe. And I, had, I tried to get it on Shudder, and I had trouble with that. I don't doubt I'll it. I'll just warn you. So, uh, But you can't just rent it pretty much anywhere for you know four bucks. Make sure you do it. If you find a DVD of it, pick it up because I couldn't find mine and I was devastated. I want to be able to confirm for you. like There are tons of deleted scenes on this, a great commentary, and a bunch of cut stuff that you could have only seen on the VHS. You should really track it down. Props to physical media. Ooh, speaking of oh, like the ex- like the same batshit zest that brought us Gremlins 2. Uh, <laughs> from. <laughs> I, just a lot of the stuff I, I saw this week that even I enjoyed watching, it just I couldn't help but thinking like old guys working in a modern era. And mm. when, it, when it came time to make another Batman, I think Disney picked the wrong guy because we have, I think, one of the most amazing casts I've ever seen in my life yeah. in mm. the stupidest film I've seen in the last 10 years. <laughs> it, Ladies and gentlemen, Mandy Patinkin, James Caan, Paul Sorvino, Dustin Hoffman, Charles Durning, Dick Van Dyke, Glenn Headley, uh, Charlie Corsmo, uh, Al Pacino, Madonna, and Warren Beatty, and the number one dominant at the box office, Dick Tracy. From Touchstone Pictures. Let's go! Big boy Caprice. Flat. Prune face. Mumbles. Lips manless. And the blank are out to get the greatest detective of all time. I'm rubbing him out. I want him dead! Nobody touches Tracy but me. Tracy, Tracy. Tracy? You mind if I call you Dick? When it's time to fight crime, he's your man. Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy. Rated PG. My God. My God. I watched this to prepare mm-hmm. for the show for the first time in my life. Oh, mm-hmm. so you you did not know what to expect. No, I had heard that you must remember this that talks about Warren Beatty and Madonna's relationship. And so they talk mm-hmm. a lot about Dick Tracy. Uh, y'all, I loved this. Did you really? <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous. It, like, I, I, I feel yes, like I, I wanted. I, I mean, it is ridiculous. I wanted Diana. Whether or not you like that or it. not. I, I feel like I need Diana to explain a little bit because even I, I like I was watching with my girlfriend is a little younger. Like, who is Warren Beatty? I'm like, I know, like oh. he was shoved in my face as important, connected, and uh, famous, but like he didn't make many famous movies while I was watching movies. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, most of his, uh, you know, most of his uh, star power comes out of really the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, but he was still treated like a god. Like, every time he had even a little idea every seven years, that movie is made instantly and has an insane cast. He seems like a powerful dude. His appearance on the Larry Sanders show, they like, he's treated like a god. He was Mm -hmm. the god of Hollywood for a while. So I I don't get it, because he, so when I look at this movie, he got all his famous friends to be in the movie under crazy amounts of makeup, and he sucks. He's the worst (laughs) part. He's so dull and boring, and this seems like a giant vanity project, and he sucks in every single scene of this film. 
I, I keep referring it to... Just with the situation going on right now, yes, it's hard to watch a movie and root for a cop. And, and this is one <laughs> cop that, like, bring him downtown. He's like, I deserve my phone call. And he rips the phone out of the wall and throws it. And there's your phone call. Yeah. He's like, you can't do that. I deserve my rights. He's like, I'll tell you your rights. Get him out of here. I'm like, why did you bring them down to do that? Oh, let me and tell then, you. And then why the did num- you make us watch that? <laughs> that the scene number didn't one do movie anything. For 1990, that we're talking about Dick Tracy. And then the number one movie in. 2000 that we're going to talk about are very hard watches in if you consider what's going on yes. right now considering some, they are both some, cop movies yeah there's some police misconduct <laughs> it's kind of there, a theme there there uh, is like it, yeah and yes, bad police work it, they're it, like they're not even just doing it right Right. right now, right now, where this up. this is, this is like a, a Republican origin story. It, like, I, I there's one of the, sh- it is the worst montage I have ever seen in my whole life, and it's oh. one of the worst songs I've ever heard sung by Madonna, with mm-hmm. some of the silliest imagery. It's Dick Tracy cleaning up the streets. But it's just a cop walking around opening fire on everybody. <laughs> like, 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 what are you shutting down? What yes. do these people do? Who are they? But again, it is a live action cartoon. That's yeah. what this yes. was. This is it. Pleased me. Like, I, I just, I really enjoyed well, watching. You can't it look away. It's I- so wild, and I don't yeah. think it can be overstated how much Warren Beatty was king shit of fuck Mountain. Basically, at yeah. this point, mm-hmm. like he. Like, yeah. I know my mom wanted to fuck him. She was happy to take me to this movie. And she yeah. she did not feel that way about Batman. <laughs> and yeah. the bona fides of this movie, I mean, the songs that Madonna sings were written by Sondheim. Yep. What the fuck? And so- uh, because he's king shit of fuck mountain. He exactly. can call Sondheim and say, write me some songs. And he will. He can call Paul Sorvino and ask him to put on heavy makeup and slurp oysters like, oh. That is, is such a needless scene, and like, dude, Paul Sorvino just got nominated for an Oscar in Goodfellas. What is this? <laughs> How did he get him here? Why is Jimmy Kahn here? Why is every single recognizable actor put underneath makeup that makes them unrecognizable? It's for uh, fun well, be- because it is a live action cartoon again. Yes. And I mean, the one thing that I do like about this movie is it is very bold looking. It yes. looks like no other movie. It is. Red, yellow, blue, and green are the only colors, and they are very bright, and they are very big blocks of solid color everywhere, because he wanted to replicate this idea of, like, having limited number of colors in a print. He Mm -hmm. he wanted to replicate the look of the film with the colors newspapers were limited to using when he grew up reading Dick Tracy. So there are seven, there were seven available colors, and (sighs) it's, it's almost, it's also one of the last... Last movies of this budget to have no CG. So the match mm. shots and the cityscapes mm-hmm. are. I have. I feel like I might not have seen this on H in a good HD version on a large television. That shit is undeniably gorgeous. It's framing yeah. the stupidest shit I've ever seen, and the worst dialogue <laughs> and the worst singing. It, it, like, oh, this movie is the great movie ride at Disney MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Like just it's like a, like a greatest hits of all kinds of different genres. Just yeah, and just that you know, it very much it very much meshed with Disney's plans of what they want to do for MGN and very much had a ride plan for it. But mm-hmm. but it, it made its money back and then some, but was not the hit they wanted it to be. Yeah, well, well they clearly thought this was going to be the new Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. people people like uh, 
30s comic book throwbacks with like crazy characters and bright colors and Danny Elfman music that sounds pretty much the same. Exactly. It's it's bizarre to think about that, but like, because we're we're all we're all more knowledgeable about comic characters than the the zeitgeist was 30 years ago. But if growing up watching like TV land, Dick Tracy was a really popular reference when talking about a hard nosed cop. Mm. Nobody in my generation has ever referenced Dick Tracy. I've read everything and I could not get into Dick Tracy. It has one of the worst animated racist cartoons you've ever seen. Can't get into (laughs) it. I have no love for this character at all, but like, after Batman, yeah, this is through radio, yeah. comics, and movies and TV. Dick Tracy was widely recognizable for going back to the nineteen the nineteen thirties comic. It, it, it was the logical choice to make the next back Batman movie for real. It was it was referenced a lot. I mean, because I, I remember just knowing it's like it was like that little kid knowledge of like. I just know what this is, and I don't know why. Yeah, like yeah, you know? yeah. It's, and, it's a known how- name, but they could also kind of put whatever they want in it because, like the the elements that you know is what he's got, like a radio watch, and he wears a yellow hat. Right. <laughs> put about it, anything else. Never does it look ridiculous. It. Again, my girl's a little younger, no context, and like, and the second he walked on screen, like, what is he wearing? I'm like, he never <laughs> wears anything else. It's great. <laughs> It's great. Yeah. And the interior sequences, like when they have to stick to those pallets, you can just imagine a crew like somebody had to paint those raptors candy red mm-hmm. for like six days just so this looks mm-hmm. fucking weird and, and so jarring. One of the last big movies to have no CG. It is a beautiful feat of practical effects. And I just want to point out, like, I this was not on Disney+. Plus. I had to rent this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Lots of people getting shot and nipples. This is a Disney movie with nipples. And <laughs> I, I totally, if they're going to cover up Daryl Hannah's butt and splash with CG hair, there's no way this shit makes Disney Plus. Yeah. Liana yeah. It is very, very, very slinky. Mm-hmm. Very naughty. I and, mean, because um, they were fucking at yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. So yeah. I love Madonna. And, you know, from what I heard on the aforementioned podcast, I mean, Hers and Warren Beatty's relationship was quite tumultuous, and he mm. sounds like a real monster. And her performance in this is so mm. traumatized. I feel like it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you, knowing what I know about their behind-the-scenes relationship, a lot of it makes sense. Like he was the he was the good yeah. the good guy to save her from the bad guy. He was Sean Penn. Pull me out of this, Mister. I need a, I need mm. a straight up hard refined. Bonafide. Well, yeah, I don't know because you compare her acting in this to other times she does like sexy acting and she's always just stiff as a fucking board. Yeah. Dude, this so, shit is embarrassing. She looks she looks amazing oh, for the amazing. person that's perfect. And then she opens her mouth and you're like, uh, her songs suck so hard. It's like it's going that- eh at a performance. I think we can officially call this the beginning of screaming Al Pacino. Dude. Al, oh yeah! It, it was my, the credit I want to give to Al. But if you've ever heard him, like in an interview where he doesn't sound senile, that, that guy seems like the coolest, nicest person in the world. Mm-hmm. And watching this, I'm just like, this guy is having the time of his life. Oh yeah! And he's giving it everything, and yeah. he, he doesn't need to do this at all. And he's under a bunch of uncomfortable makeup. By the way, HD is not kind to Ooh. anybody's makeup in this. It is all over the place. And Warren Beatty looks like he had a lot of plastic surgery. I'm just saying. Ha- I mean, half the people I did not even recognize. William the- Forsythe's flat top is my like my favorite design to come out of this. 
Yep. And, and you know, it's fun. Just to, this kind of ties together with Gremlins too. The only thing I know, the only things I know about Dick Tracy literally come from the Duck Twacy cartoon. Yeah, yeah. I know about flat top and eighty eight keys and I, neon noodles. Diana, googling this, the first link is the movie. So when I keep reading, like we're thinking about doing something with Dick Tracy, like nobody remembers Dick Tracy. They sort of <laughs> remember the movie, but not for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 this is the like in terms of like classic Hollywood. There's a lot of fantastic actors and Mandy Patinkin. And did you? I, I had a, I looked into it. I could be wrong. Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino have never been in another movie together ever. Huh. When I was growing up, my dad's favorite actors were Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, and uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Did I say them already? And yeah, Al Pacino. Yeah. And and they all eventually got to see them like kind of be around one another. And th- this is this is it. And and by the way, Dustin Hoffman's performance, I have never seen anything like Expendables, Bruce Willis gl- blue screen, where he sh- <laughs> he's clearly shot by himself with none of the rest of the cast. It's mm. it's such a weird character mumble. <laughs> yeah. To set up Very one strange. dumb joke. It, this movie is, this is one of the, the worst movies I've ever seen, and I could not look away for a second. I, I yeah, don't know that I'd watch I it again. I enjoyed every minute of it. I, it's like, I can't call it bad yeah. but i can't say i like it yeah, it's you know what it just looks like? very very different it looks like it looks like you're looking at the dailies of a, what could be a really good 90s music video it all has the feel <laughs> the dutch angles and production design of a really good music video but it's over 90 minutes and, and, and just everything is so dumb but it's like it's <laughs> captivating I, I haven't seen it in forever yeah. and and my yep. god it's I, on hbo go right now and it has. Yeah. I, I cannot emphasize how bad that fucking montage is. I almost want to capture it. And <laughs> put put like it makes me laugh so so very much. And, and the, the one thing is like like how did this happen? Batman was a huge success. We said that Dick Tracy seemed like the next logical step. And this, yeah. And Warren Beatty loved Dick Tracy, and mm-hmm. he wanted to do it for a million years. And I ha- mm-hmm. like this is crazy. The amount of like the rabbit hole I fell into here. Warren Beatty has been trying had been trying to make a Dick Tracy movie since 1975. There was a, a, there was a bidding war in 1985 before Batman. No superhero movies. Superman was a, a kind of like a successful disaster that nobody wanted to recreate, especially not at their own <laughs> studio. Uh, bidding war goes on for Dick Tracy rights. The winner emerged to be Warren Beatty himself, <laughs> who bought the rights for three million dollars, and to this day has been fighting for the rights again. I never knew this existed, but I found this out. Do you know the story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie that never saw the light of day? Yes. That it was shot pretty much to retain rights so that they would Mm -hmm. become worth more money so they couldn't be taken away from them. There is a 2010 Turner Classic Movie special. Because remember, uh, Disney came on board because it wanted a Batman, but this is a Warren Beatty movie. He He owned this. Like, this is his joint. Any studio could have done this. Uh, that he wanted to. So he got, to, for Turner Classic Movies in 2010, There, it was a, something called the Dick Tracy special aired, where Leonard Moulton interviews Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy in his Dick Tracy outfit 20 years after the fact, solely what? so Warren Beatty could retain the rights to make another Dick Tracy movie. As of oh. 2012... He has won another court battle to re- retain the rights to that. This is Leonard Moulton interviewing Warren Beatty about Warren Beatty as in his Dick Tracy character in this unspeakably weird 
Turner Classic <laughs> Movies special you can find on YouTube. Right now, we have a singular and unique event to present to you. Giving his first television interview ever, we have with us, in person, the most famous officer of the law in American history. I'm speaking of Detective Emeritus Dick Tracy. Detective Tracy, we're so pleased to have you here today. Uh, thank you. Uh, call me Dick. Uh, I'm going to try to get used to that. Okay, Dick. And I hope you call me Leonard. Uh, Dick, you've been the subject of so many films. We'll even call them biopics yeah. because they really are about your life and your adventures, if you will. Ralph Bird played you. Morgan Conway played you. Of course, Warren Beatty played you. Wondering which of these films you think came closest to capturing the essence of the real you. Well, are you asking me to pick a fan? I, I guess this is awful. This is what? awful. What? It, the, also, Malton, you whore. Yeah, he's in both the yeah. movies. He's been <laughs> in this segment twice. Leonard Malton, you rule. This, this shit is crazy, and I cannot. That like, is so weird. And oh I, my god! Watching the movie, I'm like, I cannot believe. Warren Beatty, Paul Sorvino, and Dick Van Dyke are still alive, and Glenn Headley isn't. This is so. This is so oh, fucking crazy. That sucks. Yeah, J- James Conn isn't it? Like he was trying to cast people who were famous for playing gangsters to be in the ultimate weird gangster movie. Dude, this shit. Dude, grab some friends when you can do it again, and just blaze up whatever you got and watch. This was. I hate this. I have <laughs> almost never had more fun watching a film before. It's so much fun, and I don't hate it. I think it's a fun lark, you know? Why not? I, I mean, I think it's an Im- shit, if you have that kind of clout in Hollywood and the money, like... Do it. Do yes, it. Go Just, for like, it. what's stopping you? He's living... Warren Beatty is living the dream that a lot of people wish that they could do, which is just make your favorite thing, much like Tom Cruise did with Mishpas. It's fine. I don't know, man. This, I'm not mad at it at all. I, I applaud it. I think it revels in too many cliches. Things happen for like no reason, but because it's yes, so like fun it's to comic. look at. It's based on a comic strip. Like, look at the source material, my dude. I, it's I'm just like, saying, like, what are you? What standard are you holding this if, to? If it wasn't filmed so beautifully, like it has all the earmarks that, like, this scene doesn't belong here. That didn't say anything. Why are we watching this? This is the third montage. You haven't done anything <laughs> in any of the scenes that were without a montage. This is this. It's such a ridiculous film, and it's bad. I, like. I don't know. It's oh, it's beautifully bad. I thoroughly recommend it. Almost more than Gremlins 2 because I feel like more people have seen that recently. Because uh, yeah. this this just disappeared because Disney doesn't have any retention of the rights to the Dick Tracy character, just what's involved in this movie. And it- I, yeah, I mean, but I, I just disagree. I just don't think it's bad. I think it's just uh, an oddity. I think it like hmm. is a... It's it's a relic of a certain cultural time where it totally, you can do this sort of thing, and it's it's an oddity. It's the, like it's like, like an art film almost. Like it's just weird for the at, sake of being weird. At the ultimate <laughs> moment in my lifetime that we're talking about cops overstepping their bounds, Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy are like, "There's an orphan. Come back to my place. I need protection. My come back to my place. Everyone come back to my place." No, and then he just has two stooges. One of them is Seymour Cassell, and he just yells at, "Wash my suit." It, like he's such an asshole and, and, like, and such so unlikable. I I hated the character and and I don't know Diana. Like w- was Warren Beatty have a great performance in something? Because he's fucking boring oh, as hell here. I mean, 
Jesus. Okay, Splendor in the Grass, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde shampoo. is shampoo. Yeah. Oh my God, shampoo. He is amazing. I'll stand up for Bonnie and Clyde. He's fucking great in that. But I don't know if he was in. But I don't. I think the character of Dick Tracy was like you know soft spoken and hard man dude. Only eats chili is established in the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. we I, we have to move on because that. Well, I just have to say like for so when this came out, I was like five. And not even. And the my only awareness of Dick Tracy was the McDonald's promotional yep. tie-in with <laughs> the like you get these like little scratch off cards and you and they had all the different villains. And I just remember looking at those as a little kid and being scared by like <laughs> but fascinated. Like, oh, there's like each each villain has their own weird quirk. And I couldn't stop. I remember not being able to stop looking at that promotional material, but also being very scared it's, by it's, it. It has <laughs> to be mentioned because they, they wanted the merchandising sensation that Batman was. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the night the movie opened, everyone who saw the movie on opening night, even in my small town, every person in the audience got a free t-shirt with that logo that they very much wanted to be the Batman emblem because mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. everywhere. And and it really started, like, I don't know Dick Tracy that much, but if everyone's showing up wearing this logo, looks like we have a Batman on my hands. I guess I'm going to have to ask my parents to take me to see this. And I just mm. didn't get it at all. I only remembered the when do we eat uh, montage. And from <clears throat> Kid. From Kid. From What About Bob? Yeah. What's that kid's name? Uh, mm-hmm. Charlie. And Gordon. Hook. And Hook, yes. Yeah. And uh, just fucking Dick Tracy. There's still something really great in, in 1990 we have to talk about. And it is not in... The NBA Finals. As we move into TV, 1990, the 12th through the 18th of uh, June, NBA Finals, Detroit Pistons retain the title between the, the Portland Trailblazers, who I haven't heard mentioned as a non-sports fan in like 20 years. I forgot they had a team. Uh, Seinfeld <laughs> episode airs. The uh, the male unbonding episode? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, it's I like it because it addresses a adult problem that I think most people have and never know how to deal with it. And so how do you break up with a friend, mm. a platonic mm. friend? And yep. in this episode, Jerry has a friend from from when he was younger, played by Kevin Dunn, who hey. is a hey, that's like it's that guy who's great in a lot of things, a brother of Nora Dunn. And uh, Wait, I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know that either. Oh. <laughs> No, Kevin Dunn's like one of the haystack. Where mm-hmm. I just saw him in something. Was it Space Force? The, I just saw him. And Dave? I was like, it's Kevin Dunn. Yeah, I really like him. He's always plays exasperated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he's Jerry's annoying friend that Jerry just wants to break up with, but he can't. And so instead he's like finds himself doing things like writing down a list of excuses for the next time he calls so that he doesn't have to hang out with him. Um, <laughs> and it's just funny because it's, you know, in the commentary for this episode, it talks about how Jerry really wanted to make the show and, and Larry both wanted to make the show th- very close to real life because I think up until now, so many sitcoms were had to deal with a lot of fantastical situations that a lot of people would not find themselves in. Right. And Seinfeld is just the antithesis of that. Uh, and they have real conversations where you just don't have a zinger for everything. You know, <laughs> I love the times in the show where Jerry like, you know, does tease like Elaine and she doesn't have a comeback. She just makes a face at him. Like <laughs> that is way more normal to real life than, you know, the back and forth that you see in a lot of sitcoms. And so, yeah, this was a really solid, very solid episode. And the first time we hear about Kramer's idea about a make your own pizza oven or restaurant, 
which will come back in season six. So and also Cray America Industries. And speaking <laughs> speaking of callbacks, uh, we have what is widely considered one of, if not the best episode of mm-hmm. Star Trek: The Next Generation ever. Oh man, the season what mm-hmm. an ending! Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing this as a kid, and this I was terrified. Yeah. I, I felt like betrayed by my television. I was like, "Oh my god, this is the worst thing that could ever happen." Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. are we gonna do? I, I went uh, after I finished Picard, and I don't have the best knowledge. I have not seen every Next Gen episode. I've seen every movie. Yeah. I went through Picard, and I'm like, I'm gonna go back and follow this whole Borg uh, timeline. And I, it's oh, so yeah. elegant how it's introduced. And remember, there's twenty over twenty episodes of a season of Star Trek. In season two, yeah. Q the Mix it spit like a uh, galactic miscreant. It's, it, what is, has it? Has what has it go? Like Q's like uh, we're ready for anything the galaxy has to give us, and Q is like you are not ready for everything mm-hmm. in the galaxy. You want to see why? Boom! He introduces them to the Borg, and mm-hmm. they can't stand up to them. And what are we going to do? And they get out of there, and they don't come back for a year. And you just you're just left thinking about this ultimate enemy in Star Trek, mm-hmm. and this season ends fucking Borg pull up and this this best of both worlds ends like this Locutus I am Locutus of Borg resistance is futile your life as it has been is over from this time forward you will service us Number one ordering a fight. Oh my god, the Borg kidnapped Picard and then they assimilated him and now he's not Picard anymore and then everyone on the bridge is so upset and Worf looks like he's about to just break off part of the panel and hit someone with it and then Riker has to fire on Picard in this friend. Yes, and and, yeah. and, this, and I'm going to have to wait until September to find out what happens. Yeah, I, I looked it up because I thought like, oh, that's a fucking crazy way to leave things because like, and this is noted as one of television's is- best cliffhanger. Absolutely, and, and people didn't massive. understand syndicated television, so they tuned in the next day, or it, like, <laughs> and, and like nothing happened. Like, what the fuck? How do you leave something like that unresolved? And we're people were writing letters, not knowing how syndicated television works. And mm-hmm. and I do want to applaud that when it, when when they came back, there's a wonderful resolution. And it's not one of those like normal TV things where like and everything was okay. They wished the problem away. Everything that happens to Picard right here sticks with him for the rest of the entire series, including the movies. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. like it, it all starts, yep. it all sort of start, I think what got me into Star Trek next gen was the Borg. And it, it, yeah. it's, it doesn't begin yeah, here, but it, the Borg is one of the most effective and terrifying TV like villains menaces i think of all time absolutely so scary if i had to pick one thing that star trek next generation you know adding to the whole star trek lore Mm -hmm. creating the borg is is just Mm -hmm. they are so terrifying because they're they can't be reasoned with they Mm -hmm. learn really fast they immediately know all your weaknesses Mm -hmm. everything you do puts them in an advantage because they can adapt it's so so fucking scared it's such an effective like device as a villain and you know after this happens to picard i love that 
this continues with him as a character yeah. all the way through this the new Picard series. Like, and I think it really speaks to trauma yeah. and how it affects yeah. people. It's a very, very effective exploration of trauma and because it comes up again and again and you know while he does survive it spoiler alert um <laughs> he you know he he can never really lose it you yeah. know it's always there in the mm. back of his head and it does pop up time and time again and it, it, bled in a, it, so bled in a, it bled in a 2020 like yeah. the events that happen here are like almost entirely what picard is about Right. And and it's just it's exactly. in, it's incredible. I had to go back and watch it after Picard. Thirty years. Mm-hmm. Thirty years. Yeah. And they're still finding new stuff to do with that and the character and the experience. Yeah, and it's it's years. it's why like as as a, a really like a sideline Star Trek fan, it's why I tip my hat. I think why why we like Next Gen so much because I love that they walk mm-hmm. in and like we're throwing away the Klingon horseshit. Here, meet our Klingon, a member of our Klingon crew. We have right. to introduce a new badass. Like way more badass villain, and they did successfully, <laughs> and it worked forever. Like it's just, it's so unbelievable that they managed to pull this off. Like, yeah, that lightning in a bottle aspect of uh, next gen. No games to speak of as we close out 1990. A big long segment on only three things. Uh, <laughs> n- new music releases. We got Midnight Stroll by Robert Cray. Compositions by Anita Baker. Holy Water by Bad Company. Uh, I'll give you all my love by Keith Sweat. Self-titled debuts, uh, uh, as well as uh, Elias and Mariah Carey comes out this week. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. 30 years ago this week is the debut of Mariah Carey. And wow. she has been a star for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. She's a bona fide. Yeah. And, and, yep. She bona fide. You know, we're going to close and out. Elias is good, too. But she's not number one. But I, I did pick something off of, what's, off of this what's album. What's number one? It's like eventually. As I study what's hilarious to me about '90s music, one of my favorite mascots, unsung mascots of early '90s music, is Roxette. It is. Mm. <laughs> is this is not '80s music anymore, and it's really corny. It must have been it's, love by Roxette as number one this is week. This, it must have been love. Keep going. Yep. Oh, what movie? Oh was yeah. That? That was Pretty like, Woman. Okay, that's right. It's off the Pretty Woman soundtrack. That's part of why it became a big song. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It is cheesy as hell. Ooh. But it's like a all, good cheesy. By the way, we yeah. talked about Madonna's Dick Tracy album like a week or two ago. We have no more time for Dick Tracy. We got to close that with Roxette, but we will be right back with a wonderful 2000. It must have been. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. <laughs> Um, but King like, of Kong, great! You should watch it. It's, it's absolutely I'm, I'm fantastic. May, I've probably seen bits. And bits. I know the guy you're talking people, about. I've showed that that documentary to people that aren't into video games, mm-hmm. and it's still fascinating. And, and, oh, and, yeah. and I, I, I was like you. I was watch, I was wrapped when Billy Mitchell was called out as a cheater, and I'm like, 
I am trusting wasn't all Wasn't it like 30 years later or something? Like it was like, like, it was like last, yeah, like, about a year like 2012, wasn't it? And it's, it's, it's like, 10 it years like... after the documentary. You've played Donkey Kong, yes. right? And I know you've played it at some point in your life. Because I, I watch a lot of people play this game. Like, I know that's mm-hmm. super nerdy, but there's people that play it on Twitch all the time. And I just watch them. Sure, I'm yeah. trying to get better. Definitely. Right? So I watch strategies and I watch these different things. And the, the, the biggest thing to me, outside of you know all the other accusations, is in the videos that they that they you know are saying, well, here's the evidence. Mm-hmm. The luck never seems to go against. Right. There are times when the barrels just won't go down the ladder and you get lucky, but yeah. it, it seems like their their big accusation was if you watch these tapes, it never goes bad. Yeah. And like a long game of Donkey Kong can take really? 35, 45 an hour. Like, mm-hmm. It can take a oh, long yeah. time. Absolutely. So to play a game that long and not have any bad luck. Yeah, because I think that's how some of those cheaters got busted because someone yeah. opened up that dragster game mm-hmm. and like it's like yeah, you can't, dude, you have the guy a, who set the record is like this is mathematically impossible according right. to the coding. Yeah, you can't do sure. that. That's another thing. It's a non-zero percent chance. So the best of you can do, so, like the, the best that like they they they. they I love exactly. this about today's yeah. time. They took the code and they literally ran it through like the perfect game. Was it dragster? Did I get dragster. That right? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, a great yeah. game by the way. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna tie that record. <laughs> that's because you suck at it. But but basically, all the great games you can. Complete in 16 seconds. You, really? Oh. How, how long ha, have you run a five five seven yet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna... In real life, on the Jock <laughs> PE court. So, uh, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that game works is get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. Coming into 2000 with Try Again by Aaliyah, and it is number one, finally knocking off that, that bitter old creep, Carlos Santana. And it's a good one. Uh, like, I I'm love gonna, Try Again. Yeah. I said, look, I love Carlos Santana, but I am fine with the people toppling this statue and throwing it in a pond. <laughs> Ooh, so not in the river, just a, maybe a shallow pond yeah. so he can be rescued. No, or, or he can just yeah. be a statue in the pond. Think about it like that. It sends a wonderful Ooh. statement and it doesn't get destroyed. Scuba divers can enjoy it. Sure. This is neither here nor there. Do not judge me on this segment. What a big surprise that would be if you're scuba diving and all of a sudden there's just a statue of Carlos Santana. <laughs> You didn't see that a guy, a guy in a, some midwestern state built like a uh, Friday the Thirteenth three Jason Voorhees that is chained I, to the bottom of a lake. And, I saw that, oh and I think I would die of fright if I saw that. Yeah. Yep. it's terrifying. Ooh, I don't like just thinking about. You know how I feel about things underwater. Yeah. Just thinking about that is giving me the heebie-jeebies. I don't know. Think about farting underwater. That's fun. Everyone loves it. All right. Uh, I'm back in. I'm back in. Okay. Aaliyah's number one <laughs> and still alive. So uh, th- this is one of her biggest jams, other than the one with the baby sounds in it. I forgot what that's called. But uh, Aaliyah's still alive. Are you that somebody? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Other new releases of 2000, June 12th to the 18th. Seven by S Club Seven. Is that a thing that worked in some other territory? I mean, they had like a television show and everything. They were a, are they Swedish? A manufactured boy band, a boy girl oh, okay. band, yeah. teen band. Uh, Crushed by Bon Jovi, Faith and Courage by Sinead O'Connor. This is two thousand, right? Kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. This was like a, a kind of comeback album. She actually had some radio play with awesome. No Man's Woman off of this, and this is after like she found religion. And like became a priest in some group, and it's like she's kind of a Catholic, but kind of not. And like, 
Sorry. Girl, girl has issues. Ripping up a picture of the Pope's the coolest thing you'll ever do. Uh, Fantastic Volume 2 by Slum Village is also out. The Moon in Antarctica by Modest Mouse. Power to the People by Poison. Uh, Riding with a King by BB King. Uh, and Eric Clapton. The Unseen by Quasimodo. And Not That Kind of uh, Not That Kind by Anastasia. And Pump Up the Valium by No Effects. Uh, why am I giggling at a 20 year old No Effects pun? So I think Try Again is number one because of Romeo Must Die, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why. Yeah. And also, it's a it's a banger, but it's uh, yeah, I love it so much. And then Crush, Crush was the album by Bon Jovi that gave us a song that I think is probably the most annoying song of the 2000s, which is Mm -hmm. "It's My Life." Oh my god! Guess what I picked to go out of this segment with? Ooh la la! There were a lot of choices. BB King and Eric Clapton to throw in there for the dads, and like. No, this is this is the most two thousand song out of all of these. It's, that song, that that song is so was everywhere, and it, it yes. sucks. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make a very bold statement right now and say that I hate that song more than I hate anything Nickelback has ever done. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, that's yeah. Right. All right, that's I, how much I hate this non-song. I think it's if you just... you should count your lucky stars because I don't think like a TikToker, but if I did and it was out. 10 to 20 years earlier this is a perfect song to meme with just do like <laughs> throw over a table and yell it's my life have it blare it's it's such a silly song it, it would be fun who are you rebelling against like, you you 45 year old millionaires <laughs> to, to, but it would be fun to lip sync to that song and then have it be like my life which is trying to decide what to watch on yeah. netflix i can't find my keys but then you cut to me rubbing shoulder blades with my best friend as we yell into a microphone uh, <laughs> Oh, God. And a little bit of news to bring you into 2000. Signs of the decaying times, people. CBS drives another stake in the Saturday morning cartoons with their stupid corporate synergy. Viacom owns not only CBS but Nickelodeon. So they start airing Nick Jr. programming on Saturday mornings. So not only Hmm. would any kid with cable maybe have already seen these, it's fucking baby shit. <laughs> when I grew up on Saturday morning, it was like a reason to live. Wake up at a friend's house or on your own, eat a cool cereal, and then you get to see jet planes and dolls come to life. I don't want to watch a little bear learn to wash his hands. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Nick Jr. Well, maybe content. if you had, we wouldn't be in this COVID-19 situation. <laughs> I, I hate how that always comes back on me. <laughs> uh Amoris uh, Peros is out um, on yep, movies. Into the movies. Uh, yeah, debut film for both Gail Garcia Barnell and the director uh, Inuritu. Yes, it's, I, I, I loved it when I saw it. I, I ended up getting an A on a Spanish paper writing about it, and now I'm stuck not remembering anything. I did not see it on this list. Oof. Yep, it's, I mean, it, it's up there like, it's part of what's called his death trilogy, mm-hmm. but it's about three intersecting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which involves dog fighting, and so the the title's kind of a pun, where it's sort of like dogs. life's a bitch, oh, yeah, that's or funny. or it's like uh, the love of dogs, or mm-hmm. yes, yeah, it's, it's you know love is like a dog. But, yeah, in English they usually just call it life's a bitch, but it's like the trilogy is like all three of the films in his trilogy are all about these like interconnected stories, right? That's kind of right. like his deal. Yeah. yeah, 21 Grams and Babel are the other two. Yeah, I feel yeah. like 21 uh, Grams is the, the best uh, one out of those. But. Uh, and also out this week, get ready, Pretty Prince Jr. fans. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, he plays a nerd in this one, guys. Oh, oh a nerd with perfectly spiked hair. Uh, Heather Donahue, Amanda Detmer, Jason Biggs, Claire Forlani, Freddie Prince Jr., boys and girls. I don't. Is this the one with the I Jay and Silent Bob cameo or the Man Show cameo? I think it might be the Man Show cameo. Um, I think it might be Man Show. I don't know. It's about the, they were friends as little kids, and now they're in college, and they have a will they or won't they, and then they do, and that changes things. And then oh, the reviews were pretty brutal, honestly. They were just like, there is not one idea in here that is new or original. It's not a new version of anything. It's just it's just boring. Black. Mm. Like, it okay. Didn't do well at the time, and I feel don't like care. Diana, More interesting things. Let's move on. I feel like Diana threw the cast in here just to confuse everyone. Angela, <laughs> Angela Lansbury, Quincy Jones, James Earl Jones, Penn and Teller, Bette Midler, uh, Ishak Perlman, Itzhak Perlman, and Steve Martin in Fantasia <laughs> 2000. Get ready for an experience so big you can only see it in IMAX theaters. Walt Disney Pictures presents Fantasia as you've never seen it before. With seven all-new segments and one classic favorite. Walt Disney Pictures Fantasia 2000, the IMAX experience. Rated G. Uh, okay. Can, can, I, can I have the floor for mm-hmm. a little while? Please. Can I cede the floor as a, to as you. A yep. fan, I'm going to try and make this Chair as fast as possible. Chair recognizes giant animation nerd, Chris. Animation nerd. I, I yield my time. Fuck I'm telling you, you you're like this. It's, it's something <laughs> something special that no one else can bring to this. At, at least, yeah, let's hope so. Uh, Fantasia, movie a follow-up to a movie from 1940 that Walt Disney designed based on his own love of classical music, which was still very popular at the time, but you know, Walt Disney is who he is and he wants to celebrate his favorite kind of music. He wants to build a 70 speaker surround sound system and tour it through town. Fantasia. He wants to release, he wants to make new content for it every year. So you could go every year and never see the exact same lineup of classical shorts to modern, to modern animation twice. Uh, (laughs) It bombed horribly. (laughs) <laughs> Horribly, like it was. It, it this is the first big step to disaster for Disney, having to like give a lot of the assets over to the government, produce propaganda, not being able to pay employees, uh, strikes, anti-union, anti-Semitism. Disney sort of sucks for a while, uh, but mm. Fantasia is is rightfully so held up. It, it, well, hold on. Before I get to that. Fantasia eventually found its audience the way a lot of even Disney's biggest bombs find their audience. They have been good throughout history of of not only making well-crafted movies that look good year upon year upon year by re-releasing them over and over again. And Fantasia was like, Mm -hmm. it lost a lot of money because it was like based on a technology that didn't even really exist. And it was, it's clearly a passion piece. It's, I never loved it or even really liked it as a kid I would just put it in the rotation every once in a while. It took me until I was older to sort of get it. But the way Fantasia initially found its audience, uh, and I love, you can look this up, look up the re-release posters through the years. 1940, mm-hmm. ah, Mickey, I'm standing with the stars. And then as we move into the 50s, other stuff from Fantasia. And you just start to notice in the late 50s and 60s and the 70s, the posters get a lot more psychedelic and the theaters <laughs> start getting much closer to colleges because you want to know why their audience tended to be people who wanted to trip out man or get stoned. And mm-hmm. it, it is, I have to imagine it was great for that. And eventually like people, my dad's age, he doesn't talk about it. Like are showing me Fantasia. And I know it's not because they loved it when they were kids. Cause it's, 
it's made by an adult who does <laughs> in in the forties. It's it's mm. it's something you might need enhancement to watch. And so I remember at the, this is the wide theatrical release of Fantasia two thousand. It released mm. earlier in the year exclusively in IMAX theaters. The only feature length animated movie to ever do that. I lived in a town where we didn't have one of those. I wanted yep. so, my fuck you. I wanted my psychedelic experience with Fantasia, and I I had some bad experiences with uh, LSD at a certain point, and I'm like I'm gonna get some mushrooms, and I remember we couldn't get there. It was like a five hour drive, and we would probably have to stay overnight, <laughs> and, and I couldn't get a lot of people on board for it. And I forget how it happened. I eventually saw it at the World Golf Village in St. Augustine, Florida, on Super Bowl Sunday, in my continued effort to do the opposite of football every time, <laughs> watch Fantasia 2000, but with no hallucinogenics. Um, mm. Through weird COVID situations and some adult planning, your boy Christopher achieved his dream last night of watching Fantasia 2000 on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, congratulations. Okay. And it Good job. Was one, 20 years, buddy. It was one of the best experiences i have ever had that bomb all the lights and that bombastic shit i don't see a bunch i don't typically hallucinate a bunch of stuff but like it just enhances the senses of everything and i can't think of a better movie to have an experience like like that i look this might be a bit so maybe i didn't do it but i did but if you're a job <laughs> if you're looking for like hire me i'm running for office i didn't do this I did. Uh, and it was amazing. I also saw Dick Tracy like this, if that explains why I'm fucking mystified. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's not great. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I also, I'm super on board with the uh, Walt Disney's idea of let's do animation to classical music. Cause you know, sometimes they're about something specific, but a lot of times they're not. And you can mm -hmm. just, sure. Pines of Rome right. is about, Whales that can fly now. Yeah, you don't you don't need to okay. have a coherent story. In fact, some of it like it doesn't feel like traditional animation because the music is driving the story. If we have a yeah. a slow moment here, it's because that's where the music is taking us. Uh, yeah. Again, this I, is <laughs> through, yeah, through I, new eyes. I love that idea. And so there's a couple real standout bits. Uh, plus, they throw in Sorcerer's Apprentice again, just mm -hmm. because they know that's what you want to see. Mm -hmm. You jerks. But the Rhapsody in Blue sequence that's all done like a Hirschfeld or Hirsch, Al Hirschfeld cartoon style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, directed by Eric Goldberg. Really good. Uh, of Aladdin fame. Great animator. Yeah. He also did the Carnival of Animals, Flamingo. For some reason, like in Disney montages, that Flamingo yo-yo sequences pops up, but nothing else from this movie does. And it's all yeah. really pretty and really good. And it's this is also, and we'll talk about this more with the next movie, this is... People don't understand how Pixar did what they did. There are two Pixar movies out. Uh, we talked about Dinosaur and how Disney mistook things for photorealism. There's some stuff in that beautiful whale sequence where, like, I'm like, baby, this looks so good to this day. And, like, oh, that looks janky as shit. That, that just looks like a bunch of unrefined triangles clipping up against one another. Uh, but it's it's yeah. a it's a really great mixture of new technologies and where the and where mm -hmm. the Disney company would eventually, you know, but would be be its bread and butter. But it's also since we don't have theatrical shorts anymore, it's a great way for animators to stretch their legs in between projects and do something that's, for lack of a better word, every time I watch this and like this, I feel very comfortable calling this art mm -hmm. and and, yeah. and, and, and mm -hmm. less pop. This is I I enjoy this so much as an adult, especially with enhancements. And it was it was a passion project from Walt's nephew Roy Disney. It's 
part of what created a bumpy relationship with him and Michael Eisner. It was a un like a, an incredible, incredible money loser. It, it, mm-hmm. It's 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 mostly their fault because they re- they had a campaign. We released this in IMAX exclusively, and uh, it 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 made the most money any IMAX movie had ever made, which isn't very much because uh, my town didn't have one. Did yours, Sarah? Mm-mm. Nope. So there was no way we could see it. And if you've ever been in an IMAX theater, like the experience is so tailored to to positional speakers, there's not a lot mm-hmm. of seats. And and so like it broke IMAX records, but that was about it. And then a couple months later, it comes out again and I think confused people because their friends mm-hmm. couldn't talk about it. We go see it. Ah, it's booked up for this limited four-week run. So it made a little bit of money once and it made a little bit of money again. It had a $90 million budget. It was a very wow. expensive film that took – that was wow. greenlit 10 years beforehand this was supposed to be part of initiative where we got regular uh fantasias uh fantasia 2006 i just learned today that was there was they were writing a fantasia 2006 but this was such a bomb but Mm -hmm. all of those all the pieces from fantasia 2006 have been released as their own shorts so the including the salvador uh dolly short destino little matchstick girl you might have seen like they 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 all came to fruition just not in this form and i really wish with Disney Plus, do just make this. Make it cheaper, hire younger people, and yeah, like let them do whatever they want with classical music. Maybe mm-hmm. branch out from classical music. Just make just make music videos with your your talented people. <laughs> Have you seen those Spark Short Pixar Spark Short things on Disney Plus? Those are wonderful. Those and those were never cash generators. Stitch them together into one coherent project like this. This 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 thing was really beautiful. And it, yeah. I I totally I give it a recommend. I like the original Fantasia just because I like I just like the idea. I like taking popular, like well-known pieces of classical music, even if like you don't know the name of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, like you recognize it the second you hear it like that is well known. And, uh, it's it's how I know the name. Crazy shit with it. It's how the name I know the name of Macho Man Randy Savage's intro theme is because I went to go see this movie and like this is also known as the graduation theme, Pomp and Circumstance. Yeah, Pomp and, and Circumstance. It's, it's the Donald Duck. It just, as a Donald Duck fan, it's like, it's the most well animated, 2D animated Donald Duck has ever been, right before Disney kind of abandoned that practice. Before mm-hmm. resurrecting with Princess and the Frog, I know. But this is this is a really nice swan song to just being able to do whatever you want visually and not worry about a story. It, I can only compare it to the pacing of a Ghibli movie, which it, which feels sometimes mm. musical or isn't afraid to dwell in a quiet moment just to show you something pretty and, and, and stay mm. on it for a second. I think I, I have not listened to this, but I, I watched this tripping balls as Sarah puts it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I recorded a message for myself to play on the show. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I have not heard this yet, but I, I reserve the right to cut it off whenever I feel like it. It looks to be short, but this is me last night on acid finally after 20 years watching Fantasia 2000. Don't let future Chris forget this. But not only is Fantasia 2000 better on acid, everything is. Everyone is better on acid. Everyone should trip balls way more than they're doing right now. Especially right now. Fantasia 2000 holds up so fucking well. You know who doesn't hold up well? Chris Antista. All right. I did like. Not heard. More speaking.
speaking in third person <laughs> when you are fucked up. I appreciate that. And again, if you're a cop, this is a bit. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that yeah. was wonderful. And writing that exact same yes. momentum, I watched the next movie like that too. Oh god. Okay, <laughs> the next movie I probably would not add substances or maybe I guess not heavier substances like maybe weed because I, th- I find it interesting that we have two animated movies coming out against each other that are both we're right at the moment where we're experiment we're trying to add digital animation yeah to mm-hmm. traditional hand-drawn animation and the next movie does both and tries to put them together and sometimes it is staggeringly beautiful yep. but most of the time it is garish and hard on your eyes there are there are moments when they're moving about the ship and it looks it looks like a ps1 game that has to slow down its frame rate to allow these hand-drawn characters to move at the same speed it it does get a little awkward and it is like it's gary goldman and 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 don bluth like kind of Mm -hmm. like for what i found out getting a movie kind of thrust on them their animation studio was struggling after anastasia and they didn't have a project that the studio agreed on, but they had greenlit this live action movie, Titan AE. So they got hmm. past You can really think about this as a, it seems like a more live action movie. There's there, yeah. the, to its credit, the worlds aren't that colorful. I don't know if that's because of the limitations of the CG they were working with, but lavish is not something you'd use to describe this. It's, it's, it's harsh space, but that's sort of the point when the earth is destroyed by beings of pure energy, humans are cast adrift as refugees in the galaxy. Um, and it takes place 15 years after the destruction of earth. And I, I, I love this movie and it has its faults. Do not question. It, it operates on 1950s sci-fi logic. Don't ask anybody's <laughs> motivation or why nobody knew that or why, why did someone put this here to find like this? Why did you assume your son would live long enough to save all of humanity? Yeah, you didn't tell him anything. Don't give little kids MacGuffins right before they're about to like <laughs> try to run a blockade of crazy alien yeah. genocidal maniacs because he'll get blown up and then you've lost your MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're in a movie and then you have plot armor and you're fine. But I, I really got to give it to Don. They, I don't like Anastasia even slightly, and mm-hmm. I think it's pretty, but its musical sequences are fucking excruciating. But this is <laughs> this is a good coherent movie and the action sequences don't look that bad that planet of like the there's hydrogen balls of gas growing out of water like do not hit those with any ammunition they will explode it's a cool concept it, some of it feels like a, in, a lot of it feels like an early video game just because the nature of the technology cg mm. they use but a really great voice cast including matt damon drew barrymore bill pullman john legazamo nathan lane janine garofalo and i believe why not throw jim brewer and tone loke in there yeah <laughs> Beyond our galaxy lie worlds no one has ever seen. Whoa. And a threat no one could imagine. We're taking heavy fire! We've got to get out of here. Two people face the ultimate challenge. You can't beat the dredge. No. We're going to stop them. As they take off on the wildest ride of the summer. Titan After Earth. (laughs) Or you can call it that. I I don't recommend Mm, it. Yeah. No one does. It's Titan-y. It, it is yeah, the so first film. I, I've never seen this, but I'd heard like a lot of people, you know, have said like this is kind of unrecognized quality. That it, it bombed. It bombed pretty bad. But like it's, oh, it, it's it, worth it, watching. It bombed so and, it bombed so bad it killed the studio. Fox no. anim, Fox Animation they were already laying people off while they were making this movie and they contracted out things to a little studio that would become 
that it, that was Blue Sky, who would eventually make Ice Age for Fox six mm-hmm. to eight years later. But animation at Fox was dead for over half a decade because of this. Yeah, and this wow. is the last last film by Don Bluth too. They have, Gary Goldman and Don Bluth have not worked in the medium of animated film ever since, and that to me seems very unfair. Yeah. Like, are they assholes? Did they spend too much money? Because this cost a lot. It, it did. Yeah. And it went over budget, but like, it's it's good. And I know younger kids who've seen this aired on like Cartoon Network, which I love. They got they gave Iron Giant its Christmas Story resurrection. They love it. Like it if you don't ask too many why are the dredge after them? What do they want from you? They hate their freedom. Like oh okay, whatever. <laughs> but but like yeah, but... The action sequences still work. The voice cast is pretty great. And and Matt Matt Damon I was, I, at the time I didn't like I didn't like Matt Damon as much as I do now. I'm like he's pretty good as in a, as a leading animated character. I really liked him. Yeah, but it's just it's it is I really like it, and it's and it's very Star Warsy in a lot of ways. It's like where they go to all these different planets, all these like very creative, you know, different locations. Each mm-hmm. one is is very different, and sometimes at the computer animation on them is gorgeous, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does look like PlayStation One cutscenes. Yeah. It just looks weird. And then with this incredibly traditional Don Bluthy animation, like imagine taking characters from Anastasia and putting them on top of a PlayStation one thing. Yeah. It can get it, clunky. It can get pretty clunky, but some of it is visually stunning. Yeah. <laughs> I was not anticipating there's like the whole, there's sort of a sneaking around chase scene at the end mm-hmm. through these like giant comets. Yeah. And they're sort of drifting around these gigantic ice, pointy ice ninja stars slowly drifting around and crashing into each other and there's beautiful sound design with it and i was like i could just watch this for years yeah this is gorgeous it's it's about it it didn't hit me as hard this time even with psychedelics but like Mm -hmm. not knowing what was going to happen and this happens in a lot of things this MacGuffin is the savior of all humanity and it's always like a fucking magic amulet or an ancient sword star wars (laughs) <laughs> and this is actually a thing, and you don't know what it's going to do. And when it does it, I'm like, oh, this okay, that actually did okay. the thing. And I can understand why it's here, why why it was left here on purpose, why all this happened. It's quite elegant. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like it's it's. But they shouldn't need a MacGuffin to start the reactor. You should be able to push a button because it's really important. <laughs> it's but it's not a reactor. Remember that they I, they don't. They don't express this very clearly, but they needed enough energy brought by the dredge to go into this ship that contains files on all the DNA of Earth's living inhabitants and flora and fauna to go in this thing and then make create an atmosphere within all of these ice crystals. It's a yeah. cool-looking sequence. It's a really cool-looking sequence. Clever. And I was shocked. The screenplay credits. Yeah. What the crap? Yes. Okay. So we got uh, John August, who wrote up till now Go and the forthcoming Charlie's Angels 2000. <laughs> ben Edlin, creator of The Tick and Joss Whedon. Yes. Wow. Oh, and Fire, both Firefly guys. So before there yeah. was Firefly, they were working on Titan AE. That's hmm. crazy. And like, it has Firefly vibes. I, yeah, I say video does. games, because but video games stole a lot from Firefly or like the, the less is more philosophy. You don't have to go to lavish planets. People kind of dig this barren universe thing that's going on where people survive on scrap like uh, the old west in space this has that look and yeah. uh, fascinating man I, I, I if you like animation 
you yes. should really check out Titan AE. It's 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 how it's how the people who made Land Before Time and Secret of Nim and Anastasia and American Tale. It's it's their swan song, man. You owe it to them. Check it out, and maybe next time support their stupid Dragon's Lair Kickstarter so it doesn't fail for the fifteenth time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those guys. I have a signed cell from them in my oh. house. Thank you, uh, Panda uh, Ryan. All right. So after two animated movies that failed. Mm. Who's number one at the box office? You're damn right. Uh, Richard Roundtree, Vanessa L. Williams, Tony Collette, Christian Bale, Jeffrey Wright, and Sam Jackson in Shaft. In a system where money can buy you freedom. What about the waitress? The waitress? She saw it, huh? So what'd you do? Threaten her? The next day, I just started running. I've been running ever since. In a city where fear can buy you power. I need someone located. It's gonna cost you. Only one man will stand up for justice. You ain't even a pig no more. Do you think that makes me less dangerous or more dangerous? <laughs> You're too hot, man. You gotta step off a bit. I can't. I love. I love this movie. I, I do too. <laughs> it's good. It's yeah. very. I watched it today, and it's yeah. annoying because we can't call it Shaft Two because that's Shaft's big score. There are three. Movies called Shaft. So there are three Shaft trilogies. Yeah. Wow. There is Shaft, Shaft's Big Score, and Shaft in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then there is Shaft, Shaft, and Shaft. <sighs> Uh, Shaft 71, 2000, 2019. To make it even, I couldn't figure out why this was, but like, hey, now we're talking about racism. Like, the studio didn't want Richard Roundtree in the movie as much, so they changed him to Shaft's uncle instead mm, right. of his dad. And the new movie just changed it back. So (laughs) that Shaft is his dad now. Uh, And and that, yeah, technically, this is not a remake. It's not a reboot. It's a continuation of the original Shaft. Mm. And and so is the the one from last year. Yes. Is this, though, like, okay, so I'm not familiar with the original Shaft. Like, I know what Uh it is, but I've never actually watched any of the original movies. This, to me, seems like it could just be a good cop movie like yeah. wrapped in the it's just wrapped in the shaft package but it's not like is there anything about it that specifically makes this shaft besides it's uh well, well what, what makes the, i mean what, the, he he does beat on some fools and he sure. is a sex machine with all the chicks well the, uh, the original but is, they don't even go in like he's not really <laughs> this is not a sexual character no, no, for appa- samuel a, jackson. apparently sam jackson yeah. like has been on board with like we need to tone some of this like sexist horse shit and and racist language shit down he, mm-hmm. He's and apparently didn't get along with John Singleton because they like disagreed about a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And 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 w- what makes Shaft cool, the f- especially the first Shaft, and doesn't work as well here. It is a wonderful depiction of kind of the worst era of New York and <laughs> Harlem, and it's a private eye who's had it with the cops. So he's like he's working against the criminals and kind of working against the cops. Mm-hmm. He's not. Yeah. He's not beating people about the head with any authority. He's a private eye, so he's a badass because he's operating outside the system. But he's also getting shot at much more than a cop would. And he's also That's getting hassled by the police. Though, but it, the, this movie takes a little while to get there. The, the first movie just starts out like he's the PI. This starts out yeah. with like Shaft origins, and I love him throwing a badge into the wall of the courtroom when Christian Bale gets this off. Yeah, he no! throws his NYPD badge like a ninja star. Yes. It's yeah. pretty great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, I mean, this this did bother me watching it in the, like, he does some bad police work 
and he is overly violent and that mm-hmm. would have gotten a bunch of his convictions overturned. The fact mm-hmm. that he just punches people because that way they'll be scared and then that way he gets his way. It's mm-hmm. like, that's that's bad police work, Shaft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some say that Shaft's a bad mother. Yeah, shut your mouth. Thank you. I got God, it. you're so white. What, what are you talking about? I love this movie. Check out Laser Time's uh, Black Exploitation episode. It's I mm-hmm. love yeah. this era of film. And yeah, part of it... Uh, the first movie is kind of this weird racial triumph, a very successful movie by a major studio made for very little money with an unknown actor and a mostly uh, POC cast. And mm-hmm. uh, race is why that was successful. I don't feel that carries over here, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, somewhat because he's going after, well, Patrick Bateman. Again. Yeah, <laughs> he's going basically. after Christian Bale, totally still playing, you know, scummy yuppie who's a racist prick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is totally getting away with it because he is a rich asshole. I'm skiing in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. And so that that definitely adds to it, like why he is so fucking pissed off about this guy. Yeah. Um, side note, uh, one of the screenplays, one one of the screenwriters is Richard Price, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote like Clockers and Lush Life, oh. uh, and worked on The Wire a lot ah. and uh, The Deuce. Did yeah, you see and Bubbles. R.I.P. Did you see Bubbles was in this too? I was very happy oh, to see sure. that from The Wire. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. One of the weirdest ones though was Elizabeth Banks is basically an extra. <laughs> you see her for five seconds behind someone and she never gets a line it was, mm-hmm. it's like think like her first film appearance anyway yeah no there's nothing specifically shaft about this mm-hmm. really like it could just be called like blake yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and but it's more fun shaft because that way we get the isaac hayes theme throughout well, sure. the film which they never update, which I really appreciated. In fact, use it as the basis of the whole score. So the score is fun as fuck. Yeah, yeah it's really good. I, and, but I think yeah. they, I, I, I think they could have played up the sexual component of Shaft's character while still updating it so it's not sexist. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty easy thing to do. Well, there's one fun moment where multiple women just kind of treat him as a piece of meat different points where it's basically hey could you get me off okay <laughs> yeah that's true that's true <laughs> like all right again sex machine with all the chicks we've established sure. this but i think the thing that puts this movie over the top of just being a pretty good police procedural mm-hmm. type movie is the quality of the bad guys yeah christian bale is he's doing exactly what he was so good at doing mm-hmm. of being just the most punchable yuppie and fucking jeffrey wright yeah, yeah jeffrey wright. my husband did not recognize him he came in wow. and he's like wow that guy's awesome who's that I'm like it's fucking jeffrey wright from you know westworld and he's like no yeah he is so good in this and mm-hmm. so crazy very scary yeah talk about scary bad guy yeah really really scary dominican drug lord it's- when he gets pissed off he will start stabbing himself to show mm-hmm. you how mad he is that shit is scary. This is so. This, are, is, this is a week so with, with four really recommendable movies, but this is the one, <laughs> this is the one I showed up for week one. I was very excited, especially like I, I keeps. I love Empire of the Sun for some reason. That movie really connected mm-hmm. with me when I was younger, and I watched yeah. that a lot. And didn't see Christian Bale again for like ten years, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> Ameri- I, I don't know if I'd seen American Psycho. This was just like 
oh shit, Christian Bale's in a major Hollywood movie again because you know, yeah. I, I and, and he has been ever since since this film, and it's yeah, yuppie scum. A rich mm. guy who literally gets away with a murder that he very clearly orchestrated with a lot of witnesses and proof. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, yeah. And then he starts threatening Whitney, uh, witness Tony Collette, who I'm always happy to see mm-hmm. Tony Collette because she's always good. And uh, Vanessa Williams shows up as like another cop. And uh, Gordon Parks, the director of the original Shaft, pops up. There's little people popping up here and there. That's just sort of like, is that? Oh, that's that guy. Oh, oh it, yeah. I, it's so much better than it deserves to be. It's. I feel like it falls into that category of like this should just be stupid. Yeah, it well, should just be a, a dumb retread with you know shitty two thousands music behind it. Now mm-hmm. he's like got street attitude and there's yeah. hip hop and shit. And no, it's just a, just a solid cop vigilante type drama with way better acting than it deserves. Well, don't read about the next the next one then because. Uh... Yeah, they do. I <laughs> still have not seen Shaft 2019. It sounds mm. horrifying. I'm terror. I, I just can't. I don't. I don't want to. I want to ruin this for myself. I love Shaft, oh. e- even the TV series a little bit. Well, if you want to watch Shaft uh, 2000, it is on Pluto TV. Pluto free. Look at that. Yep. Free. Mm-hmm. Free. You can watch yeah. 24 hours of cats and fail videos and Shaft. Um, mm-hmm. Shaft. TV. We can get through so fast because unless Sarah can remember the debut of Even oh. Stevens. Thanks for thinking of me. Yes, I. So we see the debut on the seventeenth of Even Stevens, which I absolutely love. This show. This was such a fun. Like, Shia LaBeouf show. Like, yeah, okay. this is Shia LaBeouf's first, like basically debut, breaking into the scene. Really, um, I think he might have done a movie before this, but this was like the first time people really knew who he was. And um, he plays. An annoying younger brother to his overachiever sister, who's played by Christy Carlson Romano. And it's just a really sweet, very fun, I think very smartly done family comedy that was on the Disney Channel. And it went for three seasons. It just, I would always watch it in the same block with Lizzie McGuire, the uh, Hillary Duff vehicle. And I always felt like this was a little bit more of like a smarter more down-to-earth television program. And yeah, I just absolutely loved it. It's so sweet. It's definitely super comforting. It's all on Disney+. Plus. So if you feel like you want to, you know, you got kids at home you're trying to entertain who are in the like tween zone, I think this is a great show to, you know, show them. It's just fun. I don't know. I really, really liked it. Cool. Stevens. And that is it for TV, for notable TV behavior. Uh, 2000 Games. Again, we will go more into this on patreon.com slash laser time with the Video Game Apocalypse Boys because I kind of want to talk more about Tomb Raider for Game Boy Color. Tomb Raider, not only one of the, I don't know, biggest ladies in all gaming at this point, it was mm. one of the big successes of games moving to 3D and capturing a mainstream audience. So this is what it looks like when it's brought to the Game Boy. And they somehow managed to retain a lot of Laura's moveset in 2D. It's it's unreason- unreasonably pretty and, and lavish for a 2D game, and it's really good. Shogun Total War is also out. That is the first of Creative Assembly's Total War games, a franchise that is still running. Again, we'll talk more about that on Patreon.com slash LaserTime. But let's close out with It's My Life by Bon Jovi. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. Deal with it. Oh, it's yeah. fine. It's our life, Sarah. Um, <laughs> bon Jovi because it's... My life. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live my life.
internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of June 12th through 18th, two big recommends for me. And uh, for very, 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 very different reasons. But let's start with June 16th, 1960. 60 years ago this week saw the release of sort of kind of the first modern horror film, uh, Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee, who's totally in the movie the whole time. Part of why uh, they don't let you into movies just whenever you want is because of Psycho. It used to be a thing where you just sort of wander in and stay for like the back half of the movie and then the first half would start and they made a huge deal about like you have to see Psycho from the beginning. Don't tell anyone what happens. It's a big secret. The making of Psycho is almost better than the movie itself. And so I will recommend Wondery did a podcast a bunch of years ago called The Making of Psycho. It's a multi-part short thing it's like an immersive almost like a sometimes it turns into a radio play but it's about the making of psycho and also the story of ed gein who inspired it and it's very disturbing uh really really like it and if you haven't seen the original psycho or just haven't seen it in a long time fucking go for it man it's it holds up it is beautifully crafted and then (laughs) 10 years later uh, a major change in uh content here 1970, June, saw the release of Russ Meyer's Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yes, directed by Russ Meyer and screenplay by Roger Ebert. This is one of my favorite cult movies of all time, but it's one of those movies, the first time watching it, you're probably just going to think, this is fucking stupid. Because it is. It is really stupid. It's kind of, like, satirical. It's a musical. It's about, like, these three girls, they go to the city to be a rock band, and then they start doing drugs and having sex, and, oh, scan- a scandalo! But if after the, the second time you watch it, it, it starts to grow on you somehow, and then you appreciate how batshit insane it is. So I sent this as a birthday present to one of my friends uh, a bunch of years back, and <laughs> she immediately got back to me with, like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Are, are there any other movies like this? And I pretty much had to say, no. Even other Russ Meyer movies are not quite as wackadoo batshit as Beyond the Valley of the Dolls because a major studio decided to give him money. Like, he was making these quick movies, you know, with a bunch of busty ladies and they were turning huge profits. So they thought, well, let's let's give him some money. And what he ended up making is, good lord, it is crazy. Also, it has fucking great songs in it. Not just by the Strawberry Alarm Clock, who do appear. What? But original songs that are seriously, seriously good. I cannot recommend it enough. But like I said, the first time around, it might not work for you. But the second time around, again, if you want to enhance your viewing, that's up to you. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, one of my favorite trash movies ever. So that's it for this week. Stay classic. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, man. And this is what I'm going to do till it's over. Till it's over. But it's far from over. Uh, one thing about music.
Coming in with Over by Drake off of Thank Me Later. Drake's studio debut? That's only 10 years old? It feels like it should be over. I mean, we're all big Degrassi fans, so maybe we just had him in our lives a little longer than the, than the young kids out there. I feel like there. we've been dealing with Drake for a while. Uh, oh, <laughs> welcome, Drizzy, to the world of music. Uh, 2010, June 12th to the 18th, we also have some new music releases, including Devo. Yes, Devo and Drake. What to pick that week? Uh, something, <laughs> something for Everybody uh, by Devo, their first album in 20 years. Uh, further by the Chemical Brothers, Sex Dreams and Denim Jeans by Yuffie, Barbara by We Are Scientists, Mojo by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and Recovery by Eminem, OMG by Usher featuring Will I Am is still number one. Woo! Music, everyone. <sighs> and uh, A lot of stuff going on. So... Up till now, we've had pretty much nothing but nice things to say about everything. Oh. <laughs> uh, it'll come back around. It'll yeah, back but we're around. also going to talk about one of the worst movies of 2010. So. Are you still mad mm. in, in the news this week that uh, Harrison Ford is off the market? Is that why you're so pissed? I am a little pissed because I think Callista Flockhart might be a succubus. Like, this is the <laughs> point where he started to look older. Oh. That's true. Did you never yeah. notice that? Nope. Honestly, I thought they'd been married for much longer than this, to be perfectly honest i i didn't realize it was only 10 years ago i just i i find myself resenting her just like did you make him get that earring that looks really <laughs> stupid i think the earring predated her okay the earring is weird though i, can't, I mean yeah. i just found out that my uncle who's in his 60s just re-pierced his ear mm-hmm. uh, perfect we're time all for going it. through a thing guys i guess yeah. is what i'm trying to say yeah uh, time to revisit what you love like i did this week me Pearl A, uh, is that how I say this? Am I saying that right, Diana? It begins on YouTube? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I just happened to notice that one of my favorite YouTube channels is celebrating an anniversary oh. this week. And if you need calming entertainment, me, Pearl A, is where you go. Because huh. it is a woman who uh, goes by Georgette Spelvin, but uh, that's not her real name. She's an actress who rescues squirrels and possums. And she makes videos on proper possum care. And they are, first, her voice is super soothing, and there's lots of cute little possums, and she's just ridiculous. It's wonderful. So I have a a clip from a recent one. Bitey here, although it's not immediately apparent, is carefully considering all of the options, thanks to you, that he now has for a future career. And like so many of us, he does his best thinking while chowing down. <laughs> so it sounds like a mad TV sketch. Oh my god, I love this. <laughs> She's so great. It, my favorites are anything about possum care, where she advises you to go to your local marsupial store, and that's where sure. you get a possum pillow for when you give your possum a massage. Of course, of course, we all uh, know this. She takes a possum to go get a tarot reading. Uh, teaches us how to brush their little teeth and you know oh my god uh, and I love possums so much like they are good animals and everyone needs to be nicer to them mm. yep uh, yeah. if you've never it's seen- so soothing I cannot recommend it enough it's like ASMR but funny Aww. yuck with possums you've never had a possum hiss and chase you I guess uh, sneaking out I at have night. actually it's so. awful <laughs> Uh, 2010 movies, uh, the 12th to the 18th of June, unthinkable, uh, <laughs> with Samuel L. Jackson again, Carrie Ann Moss, and Michael Sheen. I have never heard of this. I hadn't either because it went direct to DVD in the U.S., oh. uh, and it sounds like it's really super hard to watch because it's about Samuel L. Jackson uh, torturing Michael Sheen to find out where some nuclear materials are, and it's just about 
torture. Ooh. Uh, yeah. It sounds. Um, I, I'd kind of yeah. Like, like he a, does bad things to him. A whole sequence out of the Ezekiel twenty-five, whole movie based on the Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen <laughs> sequence. I like that. Yes, you did, Michael. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, with more more cutting and stabbing and yeah. punching. Uh, Shanghai with John Cusack, uh, Gong Li, Chow Yun Fat, and Ken Watanabe. Also, never heard of this. Uh, we got a. It's kind of a political thriller in Shanghai, circle like nineteen forty forty one, where you know uh, U.S. hasn't entered the war yet, and there's like spying going on in China, the part of China that the Japanese haven't occupied, or maybe they have occupied. Mm. I don't think they took Shanghai yet. Um, the reviews were kind of weak, and I was like, mm. oh. But I, I like a good spy thriller, especially one set somewhere I haven't really seen before. Because mm. Shanghai was like a really interesting city during World War II. Like they had a ton of Jewish, well, hmm. refugees hid out in Shanghai. A lot of people went west and they went east instead. And so Shanghai had people from like all over the world that were fleeing one fascist piece of shit or another. It's where wow. Empire of the Sun starts out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Wild Target. Great name for a video game. Decent name for a Billy Nye, Emily Blunt, Rupert Grint, Martin Freeman, Rupert Everett movie. Two Ruperts! I know. I feel like I spit everywhere just naming those Whoa. names. Double the Ruperts, double the fun. It's a crime comedy mm. with Bill Nye is an aging assassin and he ends up taking Emily Blunt and Rupert Grint under his wings. Mm-hmm. And it's one where it's like the reviews are really split and I'm not surprised because it's Jonathan Lynn who did Clue. And uh, my cousin Vinny, but also like a bunch of terrible comedy. So <laughs> you never quite know what you're getting with him. Put it in the comments because I had yeah. trouble finding it and I ran out of time to watch it. Uh, same here with the next movie, which I've always been a little curious about because he's a big blind spot for my comic love and heart. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Shannon, Michael Fassbender, Will Arnett. Wait, wait. Well, you skipped one. I did? Yeah, please give. Oh, my bad. I please give. I was excited to- I was going to say, yes, this is a huge blind spot for you, I bet, because mm. it. I really love this movie, and I really love Nicole Hall of Center, who, yeah. directs, who directed it and directed a lot of other movies that I really loved. Um, and this one, I give an A+. I mean, it's just – it's a Nicole Hall of Center movie, so it's definitely about white people contemplating – their lives and their situations in society. But I think she does it in a very realistic and not gross way. Um, and in mm-hmm. this particular one, Catherine Keener plays a um, furniture restorer in a way with her husband, who's played by Oliver Platt. And they're very well-to-do New Yorkers who run a furniture store where they buy furniture from basically like estates and old people and don't who don't really know what they have and then turn the furniture around and sell it for a lot more money and it's kind of them dealing with their like class guilt over that and like are they doing the right thing it's very i i mean i just love all of her movies i find her movies to be very uh thought-provoking and soothing at the same time so Mm. i give this one i would watch it yeah yeah I haven't seen this. I'm trying to think of, was it lovely and amazing I saw? But yeah, Nicole Hall of Center's films are like character driven, but very like subtle characters. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, they feel like people that you've met. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And they're sort of just like, you know, minor low key conflicts that are just incredibly relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite of hers is Friends with Money. 
I absolutely love that movie so much. Um, And yeah, I want her to just do more things because I just love her. And she has a great relationship with Catherine Keener. She's in most of her movies. And I love Catherine Keener so much too. (laughs) Wow. Real hard pivot into Jonah Hex. Yeah. (laughs) Starring people who have been in better comic and Michael Bay movies. Uh, This is bad. Yeah, I'm not into it. I've never been able to get into the comics. Even the stuff Stephen King wrote a few years back. Jonah Hex, ladies and gentlemen. Jonah Hex. We've all heard this story. That you're special. Magic even. Hex doesn't know how to die. Given your abilities at killing men, your country needs you. Why don't you just say that to begin with? This war begins right here! Get lost or get dead. Jonah Hex. What happened to your face? Got myself shaved. What happened to yours? (laughs) Who was reading... Uh, to get his mouth effect on the side of his face, he had to keep half his beard shaved through the entire production. Oh, wow. <laughs> it looks like uh, Will Forte and Last Man on Earth the whole time. Uh, I did not see this. I don't know much about Jonah Hex, but I remember comic fans being sort of pissed because just like I thought DC had a response. We're going to do the same thing Marvel's doing in the connected universe. I'm like, then what is this? It, like one yeah. of your, your characters that not everybody knows connected to nothing. A period piece. And it did yeah. not get great reviews and was forgotten oh, pretty quickly. It it's one of these where I I had to look up like was this affected by the writer's strike or something mm-hmm. because it ends up being gobbledygook like mm-hmm. you never know why anyone is doing anything and they'll just sort of appear in a location you're like weren't you a couple towns over a second ago why are you here now wait I thought you guys were friends why are you mad what is anyone doing? Why? Why? What is Jonah, Jonah Hex's gifts or powers? I don't know, but now he can raise the dead, even though he's never done that in the comics. I'm like, why is yeah, this being made? That's, that's oh. it. He can, he can raise the dead like briefly and ask him a couple questions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and just to add everything like, yeah. And he's a former Confederate soldier. So a likable guy who, with a good moral compass, I guess, uh, and John Malkovich doesn't even get to go as crazy as you want him to go. Oh. Uh, very disappointing. It's so bad. It doesn't make any sense. You're not sure why Megan Fox is there, except you need to have a sexy lady. <laughs> she doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true that for affects, a lot of her stuff. <laughs> like, nothing. Like, I can't really tell you what the plot is or who affects it and why. It feels like a bunch of scenes are missing maybe, but that would just make it longer, which I don't want. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Yeah, I believe, I be- cause like Josh Brolin said, no, I believed in it and it just got kind of tampered with and everything got lost in the studio process. And it, prevented him from being in another superhero film until he was in two in one year. But <laughs> mm. uh, he, yeah, he said he didn't want to join back into the superhero thing after the experience he had on Jonah Hex. And then, I don't know. Next week on Laser Time, I will give him a giant compliment for his contributions to Avengers. Oh boy! Um, and mm. speaking of Disney, the people who own everything now, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it is time to talk about a movie with a cast. Let's see if you can get it. If I read it backwards, Jeff Garland, Kristen Shaw, Timothy Dalton, uh, Bonnie Hunt, Laurie Metcalf, Jody Benson, Don Rickles, uh, mm. Stell Harris, Michael Keaton, John Ratzenberger, uh, Wallace Shawn, Ned Beatty, Joan Cusack, Tim Allen, and Tom Hanks in Toy Story Three. 
Andy's going to college on June 18th. We all knew this day was coming. Come on, let's see how much we're going for on eBay. From Disney Pixar. Welcome to Sunnyside. In 3D. It's the biggest Toy Story ever. You got a play date of destiny. <laughs> Folks, if you want to step right this way. Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. Toy Story 3. Rated G and Disney Digital 3D. <laughs> Toy Story 3, I don't know where to begin. I make... uh, The Pixar I remember growing up loving, they were like never supposed to make sequels. And Toy Story 2 happened by accident. Uh, That Mm. Disney had forced their hand because they were going to make another Toy Story without Pixar's participation. And it was just... They they didn't have the leverage they do now to say no and just ended up making it up themselves. And this came out and like, really? We're going back to this? The first two are so great. And like this... Yeah. And this it's is been phenomenal. 10 years? Yeah. Um, we talked about Toy Story 2 in 1999. Right. This is one of the best freaking movies of the year. But this, this movie. All this time and they come back and you're like, oh, no. You all ready for and... this? You all ready for this? Oh. I think this is the best Toy Story. Agree. I, I really I do. I think you might be right. I feel like 2 is my favorite, mm-hmm. but I think I think you're right. I think this is the best one. This is... It's absolutely like the range of emotions that this Toy Story made me feel. I remember so vividly in the theater laughing out loud, which I don't often do to a cartoon Mm -hmm. children's movie, Mm -hmm. and then sobbing like it was the end of Jojo Rabbit, basically, (laughs) like (laughs) uncontrollable sobbing at the end. It was quite the roller coaster. Yeah. And and, and just when you think back, I don't remember how it was possible, but I think we were living in a world, uh, it's post up, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Pixar is going to find a way to twist the knife emotionally with us. So this scene <laughs> where every character becomes comfortable with their own death mm-hmm. and, and like, yeah. I'm in the theater and like, I cannot believe they're going to do this yeah. and I'm, I'm falling apart. And then when they didn't, I still can't believe I felt that way. And the, the feelings come back to me every time I watch yeah. it. This movie's the funniest. I think I complimented Ben 10 of all things. But the the idea of a series that grows with you, that Toy Story has always played out in kind of real time, mm-hmm. uh, sort of real time, but especially if you're younger and you're Andy's age and you're watching all this stuff happen, like I can't imagine what that must be like. But a, a series that grows old with you so well and has yeah. a great way of defining loss in positive ways, mm-hmm. in a kid, in a, which should be a kid's movie, uh, it's, it it's beautiful. It is a kid's movie, and Pixar is doing a tremendous service by giving children language to talk about their feelings, and they've been doing that for a while now, and I Mm. think that it's quite commendable because I know that when you're a little kid, it's very hard to express yourself outside the context of something that you've seen, and Pixar has been doing a good job of that for a while. Yeah. but yeah, just the the pain of growing up and moving yeah. on or having loved ones who sort of drift away, but that doesn't mm-hmm. or die and that, that doesn't, you know, hurt what you had before. And, and you should, you know, keep your keep your friends close and, you know, treasure those moments and oh, I, I don't say, let jealousy turn you into homicidal maniac. Yeah, yeah. Yes, all, all I want to say Toy Story 4. I got it's really good. Yeah. I've watched it two and a half times now. It is even more strikingly beautiful than this movie. This movie's God, it's so bright. It's so it's yeah. one of the brightest there's movies don't get to use this color palette very often, but set mostly in a preschool. 
it is the most akin to Dick Tracy of anything we might talk about for the rest of the year. It is it is gorgeous. I I love the way it looks. Every moment of it is funny. I remember my ex girlfriend. I never saw her laugh more than Mister Tortilla had. I don't know why she like couldn't stop laughing for like five minutes after that sequence had occurred. It, it, it's it's so funny. It can be incredibly scary. More so than the other toy. Well, maybe not four. Four has some mm-hmm. really good spooks. Spoops. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this and this is a like a sequel that I didn't want, and then I walked out and like that is the absolute best way to wrap up the like whatever this is. Mm-hmm, Please yeah. don't make another movie. And they start. They kept making shorts. I'm like, that's still cool. I don't. I don't mind seeing their adventures. I'm like, then I saw four. I'm like, come on, really? That was a perfect ending. And four is like. I love four because it's like it's saying that there aren't any perfect endings, and yeah. and even four doesn't have one. But it's just what we all have to go through, right? And 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 <sighs> it, it's I don't know these to me the Toy Story movies I didn't think this would be the case have been my more positive Pixar experiences throughout the, mm-hmm. the last decade uh, mm-hmm. or so. And also, I got to this is the only time I've been to Pixar was in relation to this movie, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it because I hadn't seen the movie yet. But like a giant painting of the last shot of the film and i was almost mad at them uh like why would like once i found out but then i remembered oh i got to watch see the ratatouille animators they were drawing little rats on the side of the wall to make so so they could know what how big a rat would be at all times in the normal world you just walk (laughs) around pixar and see little little remy's drawn everywhere oh and yeah it was it seeing their server farm whatever toy story 3 i think it's 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 hard to call the third of anything there are the threes are never good, almost never. And yeah. uh, this, 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 this is up there in my top five, maybe three Pixar films for real. Toy Story yeah. three, yeah, it's yeah. really, really, yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, it's so I mean, great. So much of it is, I mean, they've always done amazing jobs with casting all all these characters. Going back to the first one in ninety five, and every feels like every time they add characters, like they nail it. Yeah. So like this time we have Jeff Garland and Kristen Shaw. Timothy Dalton is my personal favorite Mr. character, Mister Pricklepants. Pricklepants. Oh, from Beautician and the Beast. Yeah. Yes, from yeah. Beautician and the Beast. Yeah, the <laughs> hedgehog wearing lederhosen who just wants to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yes, I empathize I with that. And then. <laughs> The one-two fucking punch of Michael Keaton as Ken yeah. and Ned Beatty as Lotso, Lotso the Bear, the villain. Yeah. yeah, I look. Ned Beatty is a seriously underrated actor. For real, uh, but he was seventy-two and kind of almost retired. Mm-hmm. And to, to bring him in to like introduce him to this next generation, it's like I could just imagine kids going back and seeing like. I don't know, the first Superman movie and being like, why am I suddenly afraid of this guy? I, mm. I still think it's to this day, you can go into stores and find Lotso bears that smell like strawberries with happy faces. But like what kid with an imagination would want to bring this monster into his home? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. You know what he becomes. Yeah, there's yeah. cute versions of yeah. Lotso in like stores. Yeah, right now. But he's great. He's like a like a, a big daddy from a Tennessee Williams to play where he's just he's very genial and sweet and interesting. And then the dark turn happens mm-hmm. and you realize, oh, this this guy has no morality. He has no soul. Yeah, it's it's like you're growing. He's evil. Uh, you're growing Ava. with not only you're growing with the characters emotionally, but like the way they took that story of like 
if you ever you ever wonder what your toys do when you're not around or like and now it's like ask you, you ever wonder what your toys do when you fucking throw them away oh, and, God. And, and and that to me like there's something heartbreaking and cathartic about that whenever i watch the film and i do a lot because i really love this film really um, yeah. really do toys yeah i mean i remember laughing so hard at all the ken and barbie sequences <laughs> just so perfect to me. That, the, I, I just really love it. The, the master Michael Keaton is so good because yeah. he has to. I mean, he he he's the one who has like the moral journey where he has to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> and he starts. It's like such a himbo, and mm-hmm. yet he has to make this important moral decision. Uh, the, the last <laughs> such time, such a weird idea to pin so much of the plot on him. I watched yep. it right before four, and the moment I lost it the most is when Ken comes out of his dream home. In his little plastic elevator, like it just moves so realistically <laughs> as he as he descends to meet Barbie. It's it made me laugh so hard. How those elevators never worked in toys. They'd get caught on like the littlest things. <laughs> oh, please see Toy Story Three if you haven't already. Tony Awards yeah. on TV are happening right now in twenty ten, uh, June twelfth to the eighteenth. And that's important because Sean Hayes hosted. There, I opened the doc. Uh, right. <laughs> well, the uh, the Denzel Washington-led uh, revival of Fences did a pretty big job dominating stuff. Viola Davis won, Denzel won. I didn't. I had no Stiff. idea that it was a play they were they were in. I I did not know yeah. that. Wait, was Viola Davis in the movie? No. Yes. yes. Okay. Sorry. And what the Birdcage has a musical too? And I don't know, man. Yeah. This isn't for well, me. What's important here? Well. Yeah, no big surprise there, honestly, of that turning that into a musical. Yeah, Lakash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes Lakash. And anything else of notes? Because I don't recognize any of this. Um, I'm kind of bummed to see the only play out of these that I've seen, uh, Fela, was disqualified for a bunch of stuff because it doesn't have enough original songs in it. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't oh. have enough original score because it's about a musician, so it's kind of jukeboxy. Yeah. But I saw it when it came to Oakland and it was phenomenal. So it did win for best choreography though. I can believe that. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's a no brainer. The dancing was amazing. Yeah. Exhausting. It's one of those where it's like, I feel so tired watching mm-hmm. you guys. How do you do this? How and anyway. Hot in Cleveland debuts on TV Land, its first uh, original programming ever, and was yeah. mm-hmm. be, it's beyond interesting in that, like it, it, I think to this day is TV Land's highest has its highest ratings of anything that's ever happened in it regular is. television, and it is the fucking Avengers of <laughs> of, <laughs> of ensemble sitcoms: w- Wendy Malick, yeah. Daphne, Betty White. I forgot Daphne's name, uh, and uh, Jane Leaves. And then uh, Valerie, Valerie. yeah, yeah, it went for six seasons on uh, TV Land, really wow. establishing TV Land's um, now uh, scripted comedy, original scripted comedies. And um, I'm pretty intrigued by it. Um, it's basically the story of three women, Valerie, played by Valerie Bertinelli, Jane Leaves, and Wendy Malick, who are in the entertainment industry, but have kind of aged out of it and they get waylaid in Cleveland, Ohio and decide to just stay there. And then Betty White plays their landlord sort of. And so she's in all the episodes and it sounds quite charming. And I mean, these women are, you know, television royalty basically at this point. So you shouldn't, let me read you some of the reoccurring cast that comes mm-hmm. with this show because it's oh. pretty wild. So Wayne Knight Newman, hey. Carl Carl Reiner, 
Susan Ooh. Lucci, Huey Lewis, Joe Jonas, Jennifer Love Hewitt, John Mahoney, Buck Henry, John Lovitz, Dave Foley, Craig Ferguson, Heather Locklear, uh, Tim Daly, Bill Bellamy are all reoccurring characters throughout the like oh run of the show. Those are like some of my favorite people of all time. Wait, right? Me... I know how much you love Joe Jonas. <laughs> I do. I'm a Jonas head. Let me let me alter that my original is. descriptions. Look, actually, this is the you know this how, is the expendables you know how... of primetime television. <laughs> oh, nice. I was gonna say, you know how teens are about Joe Jonas? That's how I am about Carl Reiner. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It sounds super charming. I kind of like to try to check out a couple episodes of it. It seems right up my alley. Um, so yeah, if you yeah. go to, if someone wants to go back, go to bat for a hot in Cleveland for me, let me know. I TV land has had some pretty great original programming. Um, I, I've really enjoyed younger, which I mm. highly, highly recommend is fantastic. And, oh, they had another great show that was based around teachers, but I can't remember the name of it. I was trying to look it up. But, yeah, I mean, TV Land is doing some stuff over there. You should check them out. Yeah, I don't yeah, think it's for I've, us anymore. I've seen a couple episodes of Hot in Cleveland, and it's very old-fashioned in mm. the way that it is staged and the pacing of it. It's it's got the pacing of a of a sitcom from, you know, 1982. But, but by design, so, they, they turned their formula, their formula of playing – Old sitcoms that were comfortable and familiar eventually has to get old, so they made some. They made they turned it into appointment viewing. Yeah, it's, it's not, genius. Yeah, you can you can actively view something that is the exact same flavor of the reason you would ever tune into the entire channel. And, yeah, and it's, it's such a smart idea. Yeah, a little bit. It's in like you talk about channel drift. I'm like, well, at least this is appropriate. This is what the channel is kind of about. The old yeah. formats, and yeah, high praise. And uh, mm-hmm. NBA finals occur. I was probably leaving, uh, leaving, I was probably like walking right out in the middle of it after the end of E3, which also happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA Lakers retained title. Uh, they beat the Boston, the Boston Celtics. Good on yeah. you, LA. Everyone's rooting for you. You can barely ever win or get to the finals. Uh, <laughs> and, and video games of 2010, I, we will go into more in depth on these in the Patreon. But like this was the year I think it, Brett Brett got suckered into it. Microsoft's nine million dollar Connect reveal, where they invited press to an event and then forced them into ponchos and made them unwitting unpaid actors in their giant enormous lavish, the kind of thing when we revolt against the billionaires will will like show in the highlight reel. <laughs> the, the, holy shit, was this fucking ridiculous for the dumbest peripheral ever. Wow, and I didn't know that this might maybe up you ladies alley. I didn't know the Just Dance people made a dance on Broadway version. What? Oh. So you can like yeah, Chicago Cabaret, Ooh, uh, Mary Poppins, hey. you can like musical like like high musical numbers for the Just Dance thing. Oh, I would be into that. And the reason I was at Pixar in 2010 was for the Toy Story 3 game, and that is notable for a lot of reasons back when Disney was still trying to make core console games and not licensing mobile properties to steal nickels away from your children every seven seconds. <laughs> uh, Toy Story 3, the video game, it was both half a linear replaying of the plot of Toy Story 3, and then half was something called Toy Box Mode. And mm-hmm. I remember a friend saying, like, you really have to see this. This is just you build an entire land with the toys of Toy Story and all of Pixar, and you can build and do whatever you want. This model would eventually become Disney Infinity, which lasted a little longer 
and became a popular Toys to Life brand where you'd stick your Disney toy and they'd come to life in a game. You just build and build and build your own levels. Uh, but that starts in <laughs> Toy Story 3, the Disney Infinity Roots. And with that, we are done, baby. Again, I got to thank uh, our big old sponsor who's at the top of my dock and not the bottom because my copy pasta is bad. Steven Bales, that's the guy uh, <laughs> at patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, thank you guys so very much. For reasons I explained in the second segments, I am really getting tired. <laughs> and uh, I got to do Video Game Apocalypse right after this with uh, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Paras, and Maddie Allen. We talk about video games every week. I think we're talking about D&D stuff this week. D&D video games. I think so. I know yeah. I saw someone playing Baldur's Gate, so I think you are. <laughs> oh, how am I supposed to stay awake through that? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, a little bit of old, a little bit of new video game information. And Laser Time this week, uh, I've never been more proud of because I had almost nothing to do with it. Diana and Dan Amrick are the ones who really shine <laughs> talking about the history of the parody song. The parody song before Weird Al is our buddy Dan's in a band called Palette Swap Ninja, who you may have heard of, and he has a new superhero-based comedy music project called Hero Falls, and you can find out more at herofalls.com. And I encourage you to check that out and support Dan because he's lovely. Maybe he'll come on yep. again. And thank you so much for being on that show, Diana. Where can people find you? Oh, so much fun. And they can find me on Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. I feel like I, feel like I should uh, promote something next week. Oh, just to tease what's coming next week, uh, a claymation version of The Great Escape. Ooh. <laughs> uh, what do you think kick the shit at a Titan AE at every single award ceremony Ooh, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's sort of sad mm-hmm. a perfectly fine movie that just came up against a much better movie and mm-hmm. a little yep, bit better one of my fav- I think honestly one of my favorite movies that we're going to talk about for 2000 wow it's really good I, I can't wait to watch that love it anyway uh, yeah. should we talk about who was born and died who be born yes. and who be died Oh, uh, we only have one celebrity death, but we are going to be feeling this one in a couple uh-huh. months. Uh, in 2000, we lost Nancy Marchand, who was 71. She she was Livia Soprano, and she was on Lou right. Grant, and oh. she's in Naked Gun. Naked Gun. And uh, yeah, we're we're going to get the the scary Robo Livia for yeah. that one scene. It's oh, going to be disturbing. Oh, you. <laughs> you eat like a bite. Ma, I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> that sentence didn't have anything to do with what I just asked you. Oh, what an awkward scene! And <sighs> yeah, it's too bad. And see, Mar- 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 uh, yeah, apparently they had to like really, really talk her into doing a show because she did not feel good at all and was on like ventilators, Aww. like when the cameras weren't on the entire time. Which now makes me wonder, like, was she really that good that you need a woman that old to do that when she doesn't want to? You well, re- I mean, she's only seventy-one. She was a you know who was alive like my Italian grandparents and grand aunts they could have easily well i don't want to say that but i'm just saying i'm just saying like why force an old person on a camera like that anyway she went out on top man i mean Mm -hmm. come on that's the best work she ever did she almost got away with getting away with murder and (laughs) and not really but uh diana with that with the deaths out of the way the Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, birthday! Okay, we've got someone turning forty. 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 Uh, in an industry that praises youth very highly. So, born June seventeenth, nineteen eighty, straight out of Linwood, California. Mm. 
She turned pro at 14 and broke into the USTA top 10 at 17. Venus Williams. It is Venus Williams. You picked the right Williams. I thought everyone was going to fight over which Williams it was. That was me snapping at myself in in congratulations. Because I know nobody else will. Mm, I didn't hear the T in TA. I'm like, what was that letter? Could be any sport. Oh, I should have said it was the USDA. USDA. She's from Tennessee. Ah, Oprah. I get it. Um, Yeah. Uh, I did not know she did that despite having an autoimmune disease. Really? She's really struggled with. Now, the reason I thought everyone was going to go Serena Williams because she's kind of surpassed Venus in general and how many, you know, titles she's won, how many Grand Slams, all that. Yeah, but Uh, she wasn't in Pocahontas. She didn't sing a Pocahontas song. Yeah. But. I don't know if anyone's appreciated. So Venus Williams has earned prize money $41 million. That's the second Jesus. of all time. Her sister is number one at like twice that. Oof. That's uh, how much she has money is in winning tennis? That's just the prize money. That has wow. nothing to do with endorsements or anything else. Wow. Yes. Uh, she has four gold medals and is the only female tennis player to medal at four different Olympics. Holy smokes. She holds the record for the fastest serve at three different Grand Slam tournaments at 129 miles an hour. Woo! Uh, chief executive of an interior design firm and has her fashion line and is part owner of the Miami Dolphins. What? The I first, didn't know that. Yep. The first African-American woman ranked number one in the world with seven Grand Slam titles. And the reason I think we should appreciate Venus Williams more than just saying like, oh, she's the also ran is she's the one who lobbied the hardest publicly for equal pay for women players at the French Open in Wimbledon because tennis might be the only sport where men and women get the same amount of attention. And she fucking won. And now they are paid equally. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah, Venus Williams, she is a badass. Yeah, I love them both. Okay, all right. And still going at 40. She started at 14. Wow. she, She went pro. At 14. And now she's 40. She's still doing it. All right. All right. Well, uh, that bit of sports triumph ends a very animation. Yeah. Weird movie heavy episode. This has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Please check out some of our other shows. So much to recommend this week. This might be like the most recommends we've ever had. I think uh, so. Well, one of us wants to recommend Dick Tracy. Mm. (laughs) That's me. I kind of feel like it needs to I kind of feel like it does need to be seen to be believed. Yeah, if, if you've never seen it and you've seen the other movies and you don't feel like revisiting them, dude, Dick Tracy will blow your fucking mind. It's it is ridiculous. a spectacle, and I <laughs> love a spectacle. Also love cats, so there you go. And there's no CG, so even things like lighting elements and shadows, some animator had to like draw a cartoon of lights over Warren Beatty's face. It looks ridiculous. Mm. Every second okay. of it is, is jarring. This is, I, I don't want to open this again, but this is what I'm saying, is that Dick Tracy, like cats, I think, are such a spectacle, it transcends bad. So, it's I, different. Okay, okay. It's I'm with not you. bad. It's okay. something else. I'm All right. You. Yeah. Also, what, Gremlins 2, we yeah. all strongly recommended. Fantasia 2000, Titan AE, and, Shaft 2000, and And the last, the last thing I wanted to recommend... Titan AE is also special because it uses it's one of the only animated movies I've ever seen outside of Shrek which usually does so ironically or as a reference it uses a modern soundtrack of unlistenable Power Man 5000 music in an animated movie <laughs> yeah and oh I, my god two notes in and I was like so year 2000 huh yeah oh that mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that is lit. Wonderful. And I, I just remember my my girlfriend woke up. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Did my high score in Tony Hawk Pro Skater wake you? 
Because that's what the whole movie sounds like. <laughs> it's awesome. And I love it. And I love that it wears its time on its sleeve. And it's perfect for what it is. Titan AE, I'm really, yeah, I want to go to bat for that pretty hard. Toy Story 3, yep. do I really need to? Do they not have enough money? You're also yeah. subscribed to Disney+. Plus. Look, if, if you didn't want to see it because that's a fucking kid's movie, it's like, dude, the hype is real. Yeah, it really awesome. is that good. It yeah. is awesome. And once again, thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to close out with Vision of Love by Mariah Carey because she's debuting this week. Uh, this is her very first single. Crazy. This is the first anyone got to hear of Mariah Carey. And everyone went, oh, crap. Back when she was she a, a, a little skipping girl in sundresses, just so innocent, before she got mm. all sexy. Yep. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's close out with that. those visions of Mariah Carey or the song, whichever you prefer. We will be back next week for another episode of 302010. Thank you. You took so long Still I believed Somehow the one that I needed Would find me eventually I had a vision of love And it was all that you've given to me